We're going to go with fire. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. I have but one desire And that one is you No other will do All right. Uh, I mean, I went with embers, so I thought a little bit of fire in everyone's heart would be great. Now, just to remind you, you're not the underdog, and nobody can tell us what to do, and this isn't a more, oh, I'm better, I'm this. It is you are the power, and I'm going to show you. Well, I'm going to introduce you to something slightly. Some of you may indeed understand where I'm going with this. Others may not, and that's okay. That is very okay. So you're not the underdog, for sure. And you are in control, for sure. And everything we've been saying <laughs> has been coming to fruition. You have the power. Now we see that uh, it is so incredible how transparent it now is to you. Do you remember when Edward Snowden arose and everyone was in awe and shock. Oh my gosh, they're spying on us. Oh my gosh, and there was so much, everyone talked about it. They took him at his word. Yes, you are right. Yes, they are doing this to us. Oh my gosh, this, that, that, right? Well, you had better Snowdens <laughs> come out and give you the holy grail of their operations in August. Do you know what's funny? Do you know August 15th? It reminded me of this. So August 15th in the Orthodox religion is one of the biggest uh, religious holidays. We have Christmas, we have Easter, right? And then we have name days. But one of the most, one of the most important way important holidays is that celebrating the mother of Jesus. And that is on August 15th. Ironically, Shadowgate was released on the eve because we actually celebrate the eve, August 14th. August 15th is one of the biggest holidays, obviously, because half of Greece and Russia are celebrating, right? Because they're either named Panayoti, Panayota, Maria, Marie, Miriam, you know, oh, you know whose name it is. Like it's half of the, the Orthodox nations. And the Ethiopians, boy, they go nuts on it. Yeah, Mary. It's one of the biggest um, holidays aside from Easter and Christmas, right? Biggest holidays. 
And I remember this. It was one summer. I was I was young. Um, may have been, uh, you know, maybe 10, maybe 9, 10. I, I, I was young. I, I was missing teeth. I know that. Um, then that's because I, I choked on my gum because I was missing a tooth when I inhaled. Anyway, <laughs> so it was the day before August 15th. And I was excited because I always stayed up until right after, you know, the, uh, the middle of August because there was a big fair, you know, celebrating, uh, you know, uh, Jesus's mother. It was like a big religious holiday and there were fairs and everything, right? So before I'd go back to New York for the summer, I would totally hang out with all my cousins and I'd buy really crappy stuff and think that it was amazing. And everyone would buy a goldfish that would die the next day. So the day before um, that occurred, um, the, the festival happened. It was morning, and my grandmother made me, you know, um, help her prepare for the feast of the next day. And I was really, really upset because I wanted to go out to the beach, but the waters were so turbulent, right? They, they were just bad. Uh, it wasn't the waves because I used to love the waves. They used to like a you know, throw me out. Or, but it was just like a mishmash of water. And so I quickly finished and I went to go find my cousins and go on the beach. And the water was so erratic as if someone was taking a stick and whipping at it, right? And my um, grandfather came down there to tell us that we all had to come up. You know, we were just hanging out there, messing around with sea urchins and little crabs in the rocks, right? And, um, I said to him, you know, one day when I grow up, <laughs> I'm going to find a way to make erratic waters like this be smooth as oil. And that's a term we use when the, when the beach was beautiful. It meant there was no wave. It looked like a sheet of oil just laying on the surface. That's what you would call it, lavi. The water is lavi. The water is oil, meaning it was still. That was one of the best times to swim, by the way. And um, he looked at me. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to figure out? God already figured that out. And, you know, he went down to, he, he, was, he was leaving to go back. And I saw um, a friend of my uncle's. And we all followed him because he had like a dinghy by the pier. Hmm. And so we followed him to his dinghy, um, you know, to, to, to beg him to jump on the boat and help him with like his um, nets and stuff when we were supposed to be going home. That's why my grandfather strolled down there, right? So um, we followed him to the pier to, to do that. And in his boat, like he would have stuff to like eat and stuff, right? Um, like tomatoes, you know, he had it like in a crate. Uh, some bread, some olives, and he had like this big bottle of olive oil. So um, it was getting all really, really bad, right? And we were on the boat. It was rocking. It wasn't like a little dinghy, okay? It was a bigger dinghy, okay? So it was like four or five of us on there, and it was rocking, and we were all like pulling on his um, on his nets. So my smart behind um, took what my grandfather said, which I omitted to tell you. He said God had taken care of that. Apparently, in turbulent waters, if they're, they're, it's not the water that's like a wave, you know, that has a rhythm, that's angry with a rhythm. It's the water that's like, 
it's going against each other, like crashing within the water as if you're taking a stick and, and whipping the water as if it's like contrasting each other. Right. He said that God took care of that. Cause all you have to do is pour oil over water and suddenly it'll stop fighting. That's what it's called. It's like a tarahi. Um, what's the word? Disruption, but a contrast disruption. Like when two people fight, they're fighting and they're, it's like they're contrasting like headbutting, right? So the water is headbutting. So there's no real waves. It just looks like it's being shook, right? From both sides. And so he said, if you pour oil on water, it, it, it settles. Yeah. Choppy waters. Yeah. That's it. Choppy waters that look like they're smacking against each other's. And it's like, are you going in a wave? Is the wind blowing? I don't know what's happening. It's just a disruption in the way it moves. And so he said, if you pour oil on the water, it settles, it stops being angry. And so my smart ass <laughs> grabs this guy's big jug of olive oil because almost everybody has olive groves, right? Um, and I take it and I dump it right around where the, you know, nets are and we're like, you know, pulling on them to pull them out. And my friend, not my cousin, my friend George started screaming like, what are you doing? And I was like, look, look, it's going to calm. <laughs> it's going to calm the water. <laughs> it's going to calm. So the, the, the guy is like doing his own thing. Doesn't realize that I've taken this big thing and I'm just emptying a bunch of oil around the net. Agitation. There we go. That he means agitation. Thank you. Was looking for that word. Um, agitated waters. There we go. So I, I, I was pouring it all around where the nets were. And I kid you not, in that area where the oil was floating, it wasn't agitated anymore. It wasn't moving freaky anymore. And so the guy was really, really upset. My grandfather had to give him oil from our oil, but, you know, to replace it. It was a big jug, all right? But I poured the whole thing on it. And I remembered that um, uh, because it was like a shocking thought that came to my mind yesterday while I was out check this out. While I was out yesterday, I went because someone had their birthday and they went to like this place called the melting pot. Right. And we, we, you know, I highly do not recommend going there for anything but the cheese and the chocolate. Okay. Let's just keep it that. Um, so, you know, you have like this broth thing that boils. So I asked them for some oil, um, olive oil on the side for my salad. So it, the, 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 water that was boiling the broth that you're supposed to put, put your meat in was non-flavorful. So I was like, oh, we have this little oil. Let's pour it on. So where the water was boiling and rumbling, where you put the oil, it didn't rumble. It stayed still. And I, and I remembered that, you know, and I was like, oh, that happened to me on August 15th, August 14th, actually the day before the 15th, the oil had calmed the water even while it was boiling. Well, just for a few minutes till it got hot. So how does, how does this tie in? Funny thing, Shadowgate, bigger than Snowden, way bigger. It takes what Snowden gave you and amplifies it a million times, a million times, right? It wasn't my birthday. It was some acquaintance's birthday. Um, so I just wanted to say it. Um, so it, it, it amplifies it 
a million times. Whatever Snowden said was nothing compared to what Shadowgate gave you. And it seemed that rather than it making the environment calm, right, bringing the agitation down of confusion through the COVID, through the following up, the, the, track, the tracing, the everything, it agitated the waters more, right? It agitated people more, but it did show a sense of calm. That documentary actually made the internet silent for three days. Did you guys recognize that? Three days. Not one journalist touched it. Not one person referred to it. Not one person denounced it. Not one person reported it. Not one person analyzed it. Not one person. It brought complete still from the left and the right. Wait a minute. I thought to myself, did Shadowgate 1 just bring still to both sides? Because we didn't see any hit piece come from, you know, Daily Beast, which is run by Chelsea Clinton. We didn't see any hit piece from the Times. We didn't see any hit piece from anybody. And the right didn't say a word when they were supposed to be on our side. Did you see any of these, you know, good reporters that you follow and you support talk about it? Did any of them come up and say something about it? It was like a little dab of stillness that was identical to that stillness that I saw in those agitated waters by the net when I had dumped all that olive oil, right? This is so crazy. It was still because the only rumble that you could hear was that of Millie being arrested, of someone talking about Roger Stone, then everyone doing hit pieces. Alex Jones completely lost his mind. And suddenly, you know, this evil inbred rears their head and attaches to, 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 to Alex Jones's back like a freaking barnacle. But in essence, there was a silence. There was a silence on both ends. In retrospect, I realized there was immense silence. It was whisper quiet. Think about it. Nothing, nothing came out of anybody. Nobody said a word on what was being reported. Aside from Alex Jones saying he didn't watch it, but it was a hit piece on Roger Stone, which it wasn't. So think about that for a second. Think about how truth, biggest truth ever, it wasn't a drop in the water that Edward Snowden threw out because he wanted to cover his ass because he didn't want to get suicided, right? Think about it. It was so massive what was being told that everyone went quiet. There was a stillness that weekend. The video on my YouTube had over 4 million views. It was replicated and replicated by Monday. 
all of these big generals had pulled their websites down and then they banned the video globally. Even Alex Jones, who complains about free speech, banned it from banned video. I want you to see how calm and still and no, there was no back and forth fighting because the left couldn't support something like that existing. It's impossible. And the right couldn't come out and talk about it because they're on their payroll. Everyone just stood there and said absolutely nothing. It was complete and utter stillness in those, in over that weekend. There was stillness. You're about to see the same type of stillness very soon. Very soon. Where something big will come out, we'll be talking about it, but there won't be anything else talking, you know, through mainstream media. Remember this, uh, and I remembered the date, it was like February 11th or 12th. I mean, I think it was the 11th, but it might be the 12th. I showed you a video that I found of the Chinese demonstrating anal swabs, right? And I remember a reporter friend of mine called me and he's like, damn, I turn on your Twitch and I see this guy getting an anal swab. What are you doing? I was like, I was just preparing everyone because this is what's happening and it has nothing to do with COVID. But they'll soon understand because this is actually going to happen, right? And I actually got two DMs from people that are supposedly big social media influencers on the right. Maybe, you know, they, they decode things. And they were like, why would you show that? You know, that was a hoax. I was like, I already know that that's a reality. I don't know why you're DMing me and sending me messages telling me what I should and shouldn't say. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just telling you, you know, if you want to grow your following, I was like, I don't give a shit about my following, right? I don't care what my numbers are. I'm telling the truth and those that want the truth will find me. That's the way truth works. He's like, yeah, but that was a dummy. That was just probably checking something else. It has nothing to do with COVID. He's like, do you know Chinese? And I was like, if I did, would I tell you? So I was like, this is going to happen. And you watch. And what were the headlines yesterday? Tell me what the headlines were yesterday. Tell me what they were. 10 days, 15 days later, what were they? Oh, anal swabs. Oh, Biden's administration got anally penetrated. That was actually the headline from Vice. Five to six inches deep in your anus, which reminds me of this. Hold on. We have to play this just a little bit. Let me put it in. All right. This. It reminds me of this. This is what it reminds me of. I said what what in the butt. 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 You want to do in my butt? In my butt? You want to do in my butt? In my butt? You want to do in my butt? In my butt? Let's do in the butt. Okay.
We need to make this with Ali Akbar. I feel you watching me over there. Come to me if you care. Don't sit and stare. It's just not fair. Make your move if you dare. What, what? What, what? No. Oh my gosh. That should be Ali and his I boyfriend. What, what? In the butt. I said, what, what? COVID in swab said, in the butt. What, what? In the butt. I said, what, what? In the butt. You want to do it in my butt? In my butt? You want to do it in my butt? In my butt? All right. Enough of the what, what in the butt. But as you see, um, you know, hopefully those people are eating crow that told me that I didn't know what I was talking about and that, you know, um, I should be careful. What? Like seriously though. Right. And it's like, you know, they even have the boss <laughs> to contact me and it's like, do you know that I see your DMS and all your secret stuff? Right. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's funny. People forget that, that I can see it all. But anyway, I thought I'd play that song because I really want to remake that video and put Ollie's face all over it. I really do. I think that would be kind of awesome. And maybe put Carl Rove and his boyfriend, Daniel Bostic, on the other end. And maybe that twink for Trump, Lucian, whatever. I would be so, <laughs> that would be so funny. And then we should put the Chinese guy demonstrating the swab in the butt. And here's where we're going to go back to why your gut's so important. Because we're going to talk about this. It's important that we do. So like I said, your gastrointestinal system is one of the most incredible systems your body has. Most incredible. It trains all your educated immunity. What do I mean? We have innate immunity and then trained immunity. So basically... Just think of innate immunity as your, you know, frontline men, and then your trained immunity is your T cells, uh, helper cells, killer cells, whatever, whatever, whatever. And they all um, come to from uh, activities of cytokines. So I have told you that the reason that they used to call HIV the gay disease, right, is because they knew that T cells take the wrong message and train in your gut, your gastrointestinal, your anus and large intestine, right, where you have sex, they train to attack your own body. That is what HIV is. It actually trains to attack your own immune cells. And that's why they used to call it the gay disease, right? Because it would be what, what in the butt, and then those people would have more. So I thought that we can visit this a little bit and kind of understand that a little bit more. So I found this really nice, um, I found a few of these really nice um videos. And I thought this one that I found, which talks about how your body builds immunity. Now, there's a lot of misinformation in this and we'll parse through it. But I think it's important for people to understand how you get immunity, because then you'll understand why the Chinese are sticking five to six inches up your butt, a swab. 
Remember, it's not always that you're swabbing to get a sample. Sometimes you're depositing things. You're depositing things. I repeat, depositing. These are possibly the greatest thing that humans ever created. Not just in the realm of medicine, but like all of human creation. Space travel is awesome. Agricultural revolution, for the most part, pretty sweet. The entirety of YouTube, up there, but maybe not as life-saving as vaccination. Vaccination has its roots in variolation, a technique developed by Asian physicians prior to the 1700s. It would take dust from someone's smallpox scab and blow it into their patient's nose. The patient would experience a weaker version of smallpox, but then they'd be immune to it for life. Variolation was far from perfect and just sounds gross. But when the alternative is contracting a potentially fatal version of smallpox, it was a good first step. In the hundreds of years since, doctors made huge advances in vaccination technology, like Edward Jenner's famous smallpox vaccine made from cowpox virus, or Louis Pasteur's vaccines against rabies and anthrax. But here's the thing. All of these revolutionary concepts in science came before we knew how our immune system worked on a cellular level. So today, we're going to go through the story of early immunology to learn how they figured out the cells of the immune system. Around the same time as Pasteur, a Russian researcher named Elie Mechnikov was studying starfish larvae and noticed that certain cells would engulf foreign objects. He called these cells phagocytes, which meant devouring cells. This seemed like a viable explanation for how immunity worked. Our cellular defenses gobbled up potential threats. But during the development of the diphtheria vaccine, another idea was put forward. German scientist Paul Ehrlich hypothesized that there was some kind of antitoxin floating in the blood that would confer immunity. These would later become known as antibodies. So by the end of the 19th century, scientists knew that germs caused disease, that substances in the blood could confer immunity, and that cells could swallow up pathogens. But we still had some big questions to answer. Specifically, there were two schools of thought regarding how immunity works. On one team were the cellularists, who thought that free-floating phagocytes were more important to immunity than antibodies. This became known as cellular immunity. On the other team were the humoralists, who believed in humoral immunity. To them, clearly something dissolved in the blood had to mediate immunity. So to start with, your body has an immune system that keeps you safe from pathogens. Anything that causes disease like a bacteria, parasite, or virus. Those researchers at the end of the 19th and start of the 20th century were debating two types of immunity that we now know are both present in our bodies. From 1900 to the 1940s, it seemed like the humoralists had a better case. Experiment after experiment showed that antibodies conferred immunity. Plus, scientists were zeroing in on how antigens hook up to antibodies and antibody structure. But the importance of the humoral theory was challenged during a major experiment in 1942 by our old friend Carl Landsteiner, that dude that discovered ABO blood types, and his colleague Merrill Chase. They took one set of guinea pigs and gave them the tuberculosis bacteria, which meant they would build antibodies and thus immunity to TB. Then they injected the blood serum with TB antibodies into naive guinea pigs, or non-immunized guinea pigs, and later exposed them to the TB antigen. But the immunity transfer didn't work, so maybe antibodies weren't the only thing conferring immunity. Chase next tried to immunize his guinea pigs with a new solution, which accidentally contained lymphocytes, white blood cells that play a major role in immunity. When the research team looked under the microscope, they saw these immune cells at work, which strengthened the cellular immunity theory. We had way more questions, though, like 
if there are millions and millions of types of pathogens out there, how does our immune system make antibodies for all of them? There was no way millions of species of cells were built into our bodies for millions of antigens, so we must have to manufacture antibodies after being exposed to the pathogen. This gave rise to something in the late 50s called clonal selection theory, which, as the name suggests, implies clones, or copies of cells. First, humans along with all other animals have immune cells called lymphocytes. They're a thing that exists and have a name by this point. Lymphocytes respond to antigens according to receptors on the lymphocyte surface. When that lymphocyte gets in contact with its appropriate antigen, it will proliferate or clone itself. From there, the clones will either secrete antibodies or recruit more cells to respond to the pathogen. But that still didn't show us how lymphocytes recognize antigens themselves. Then, in the early 1960s, scientists started paying more attention to an organ called the thymus, an organ in the lymphatic system which, until then, wasn't completely understood. So a scientist named Jacques Miller removed the thymus from infant mice and noticed that the mice developed more severe infections and mounted weaker antibody responses. So that seemed like some easy math. Take out the thymus and the immune system weakens. But how exactly the thymus supported immunity was still a mystery. By this point, scientists knew that cells in the bone marrow could make hematopoietic stem cells, those types of cells that can become any type of blood cell. So maybe lymphocytes started in bone marrow and mature in the thymus. Enter James Gowans, who traced lymphocytes all around the body and found that they went from the blood into lymphatic circulation, then into lymph nodes, and back into the bloodstream. This gave us the idea that the thymus manufactured lymphocytes, which then traveled through circulation, eventually coming to secondary lymphoid organs like lymph nodes. Now that we knew where lymphocytes came from, we could tie that back to the old clonal selection theory. They got the idea that naive lymphocytes, or lymphocytes that hadn't been activated by an antigen yet, grew up in the thymus. Then, when they were excreted and made it to the lymph nodes, they would differentiate into fully functioning, antibody-producing plasma cells, depending on which antigen they encountered. So they were born in the bone marrow, but grew up in the thymus. These thymus-derived cells became known as T-cells. Around the same time, Separate scientists saw that lab chickens developed an impaired antibody responsiveness when they removed their bursa of Fabricius, a bird-specific lymphatic organ found near their little chicken butts. That complicated our nice, tidy definition a bit because that meant that there might be two types of lymphocytes. Through a series of experiments on chicken embryos, scientists found that different lineages of lymphocytes developed in the thymus compared to the chicken's bursa. These became known as bursa-derived cells, or B-cells which mediated humoral immunity. Thus, the two superstar cells of the adaptive immune system got their names. Fun fact, humans do have structures called synovial bursa, but they're more cushioning for our joints, so they're different from the bird version. That raises another question, though. Humans aren't birds, like, not even a little bit. So we don't have the organ that produces B cells that birds do. So where do humans make B cells, and how does the whole immune response work with all these moving pieces? As it turns out, B cells both form and mature in the bone marrow itself. They only start differentiating once an antigen hooks up to any of the receptors on its surface. By now, we're in the 1970s, and we still had a few things to figure out, like how the T cells don't just self-destruct and kill our own cells. See, bacteria infect our bodies differently than viruses. Bacteria will invade our bodies somehow, then reproduce by splitting apart into two cells. But viruses get directly into the host's living cells and use their host cellular machinery to reproduce, 
and eventually burst out of those cells to infect more cells and keep the process going. So to keep that virus from hijacking more of your cells, sometimes your immune system needs to kill off your own cells. During an experiment published in 1974, researchers saw how our immune systems could differentiate our infected cells from other cells. In it, they gave a virus to a bunch of lab mice and swapped T cells from one mouse to another. The T cells did their normal job as expected. They destroy cells infected with viruses, but unexpectedly, only if the infected cell came from the same strain of mice as the T cell. If the T cell detected that a random cell was infected with a virus, but it was from some other mouse, it wouldn't destroy it. Basically, T cells showed that they would only help cells from their same family. This would become known as self-non-self discrimination. This was a big development because it showed that T cells only destroyed foreign cells if they presented an antigen and presented a molecule that identified it as a self-cell. That identifying molecule was Major Histocompatibility Complex, or MHC for short, a molecule that presents the antigen of interest to different T cells. Then in 1978, scientists identified the dendritic cell, a phagocytic cell that eats up pathogens and presents its antigen to the other cells, helping to eventually grant immunity to that pathogen. That made it an APC, or antigen-presenting cell. I have slayed this E. coli for you. Behold, feast thine eyes upon its carcass. One of the most recent discoveries in the story of B and T cells shed some light on how these two types of immune cells work together. In order for our cells to remember that pathogen, the APC will present an antigen to one type of T cell so it can destroy the pathogen, while another type of T cell will share that antigen with B cells, which then makes antibodies for it. That development would let us understand how those early vaccines at the start of the 20th century worked. The vaccine itself is a weakened or imitation pathogen that we administer to people without immunity to that pathogen. Their bodies respond first by attacking the pathogen, but then build up a reservoir of memory T cells and antibodies from B cells to attack that pathogen in the future. After all those years of not knowing how vaccines were saving lives, we finally learned how. Now, there's a little slight thing. As you can see, it's programming, right? There's a teacher that gives the bacteria and trains T cells. And when I was in um, at the College of Medicine, the way I remembered when I went through immunology, um, which most of that class um, that I attended, because, you know, I was also working and flying around the nation and doing things, um, I would actually take my eldest with me and she would be sitting on the floor right by my feet playing Pokemon <laughs> while I was um, going through that uh, immunology class, which was one of my favorites because, you know, I was looking at it from a perspective of coding. And what I realized was, uh, you know, the T cells, I would call them the training cells, and the B cells, it's the bozo cells. They just do, right, what they're told. Um, so the T cells, though, are dangerous because they self-evolve. And in actual fact, um, uh, it is discovered that most of this training that's being done is in your gut dome. And if you notice that lately everyone's all on these probiotics, prebiotics, keeping your gut healthy and filled with flora, <sighs> now they're anal swabbing you. Which, by the way, I thought I would share a couple of these headlines quickly so you could just see how hilarious they are. So it was reported 
Biden admin pleads with China to stop anally swabbing, but it also says that China maintained that it was the U.S. officials who insisted upon the unconventional screening method. Uh, for maximum efficacy, obviously, they would um, put it in five to six inches in the butt uh, for maximum <laughs> maximizing. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, this is, we need memes to start with this, what, what in the butt, like, what's going on? Uh, so the State Department never agreed to this method of testing and protested directly to the MFA, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, when we learned that some U.S. mission personnel were subjected to it, the spokesperson said. We have received assurances from MFA that this testing was conducted in error and that diplomatic personnel are exempt from this requirement. Well, I think that those personnel need to be quarantined and not allowed back into this nation because I foresee some really, really messed up things coming up. The Gateway Pundit, as usual, with their very lengthy reports of like two lines, um, says the Chinese government gave Biden administration officials anal COVID swab tests upon arriving to China. Chinese government says anal swab tests were given to U.S. diplomats in error. You remember how people were laughing when I was showing that? Well, who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? No one's laughing. Because when I told you that they were going to be anal swabbing, I told you, why would they be doing it in the butt? What are they really looking for? They're culturing the bacteria. They're implanting other things in there. They are putting things in your butt. Literally, well, they are, but they're implanting things. So your immune system is so incredible, but it uses your gut. And I found this guy doing this explanatory video so you can understand that your immune system is mostly gut bacteria. Uh, it's a pretty awesome five-minute clip. Listen to this guy. He's incredible. The relationship between your friendly bacteria, your gut bacteria, we're going to call that microbiome and your immune system. In fact, 70% of your immune system really is this microbiome, your gut bacteria. You have trillions and trillions of microbes living in and around your body that are constantly exchanging with you. You're giving them a, a place to live. And what they give you is immune protection. They give you nutrients. They help your blood sugars. And they give you other things that are beneficial. There's over 10,000 different species of friendly bacteria in and around your body. And 99% of them are non-pathogenic. They're the good guys. The great majority of microbes in your body are living in the large colon, just above and in the mucus layer. And then you have the colon cells. And then you have another layer of protection where you have certain immune cells or guards waiting for an invader to pop through so they can attack and eat them up. What happens is when you have an imbalance in the microbiome, you start to lose your gut lymphatic layer. You start to have a decrease in your lymph nodes. You start to have less antibodies. And antibodies are those things that attach. Now, I just wanted to say, can you guys see how there's a method to what I tell you? 
I did direct you to see what Dr. Bonnie Bassler's uh, video, right? What did that video teach you? Because I couldn't play it. What that video taught you is, is that bacteria work together. They talk to each other, they communicate. But what else did she tell you? That the majority of your body has bacteria. It's very important. I mean, I, I know you're going to be like, why do you have to be so cryptic? It's because if I'm laying out a syllabus of the next, you know, six and a half years that we have here to uh, lay it out in like step, it, it feels like schoolwork, right? It feels like, <laughs> you know, uh, someone is just dumping a lot of information. But when you learn the basic basic foundations of certain other aspects, it's at some point you get that click in your head, right? Just like we did when we were kids with Legos. We understood that the little tiny ones can't go under the big ones because they don't balance well, right? We, we learned through understanding different individual components. And over the past three years, I have been giving individual components. It's not fair. I already know, uh, you know, the, <laughs> I already know the outcome. So it's not really not fair, okay? It's really not fair. But um, it's important to understand how, you know, when you get this and you understand that and, you've, and, you've, and you got it, you got the basics. Bacteria talk to each other. We talked about quorum sensing before, right? I've told you about, you know, the, the plant and the exchanging DNA, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I explicitly said you should find Dr. Bonnie Bassler's TED Talk, and, and listen to it and watch it. It's actually quite entertaining and it's not a boring TED talk, right? Because most of them are really boring, right? She's pretty badass. And now you're having this guy tell you about bacteria. Remember how do bacteria work? They talk to each other. They uh, communicate. Now he's telling you how they're developing your immune system and how they interact. So now you have the tools to understand the bigger picture. Right. It's like my daughter telling me, I, I hate the fact that you, you know, are always, you know, forcing me to do this Kumon stuff. All it's teaching me is to do, you know, faster math. And I'm like, no, it's teaching you how to really understand the basic concepts of mathematics in a more instantaneous fashion. Because when you get to the more complex solutions, if you can master, you know, um, how to drill holes in a wall, right? or how to put up two by fours, or how to lay out cement, damn, when it comes down to doing, to building a house, guess what? You've mastered all the little things that are necessary, right? And, and life and politics and everything is just like that. We're always learning how to be citizens. We're always evolving as a society, right? All societies evolve and expand. It's a forever expanding universe, right? We learn, and that's why um, <laughs> repetitive actions indicate lack of knowledge, right? When you're constantly doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. So let me continue. Dr. Berg is really awesome, but this is so exceptional. I'm just going to rewind it like a few seconds. Here we go. To have a decrease in your lymph nodes you start to have less antibodies. And antibodies are those things that attach on microbes. They don't kill the microbes. They put a tag on them for other immune cells to kill them. Antibodies are very specific to different pathogens. And then you also have a decrease in the T cell production. And T stands for thymus because the thymus gland 
helps train uh, the T cells, and you're gonna have less of that. The primary function of the thymus gland is central tolerance, able to tolerate your own cells that are beneficial to you. Because if you did not have that function, these soldier cells, they're like special forces, would not be able to tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys, and they would end up killing both of them, and you'd end up with your own body cells getting attacked. That and that is what HIV and autoimmune diseases are, just pointing that out. is a condition called an autoimmune disease. Autoantibodies are antibodies that are basically attacking your own tissue, but they're not really attacking. They're tagging your own tissue as being a bad guy and other immune cells like T cells are going in there and actually trying to attack them. And that creates inflammation. And when you have autoimmune conditions, you always have inflammation and that's really what's happening. You're getting this constant attack. And because the microbiome is so heavily connected to your immune system, when you lose this, you lose this and you lose the tolerance and you lose the ability to learn to differentiate. Now we have a situation where we have a lot of friendly fire and we have a lot of collateral damage in the body and a lot of inflammation. T cells not only differentiate between your cells and a pathogen cell, it's quite amazing that your body has this ability to differentiate trillions of cells from pathogens that are not necessarily your cell, but they're so intimately involved and they're such a helper to your body that your body has developed a system to keep them alive and not attack and kill them. And also, there are certain T cells that suppress inflammation. So if we lose that, what do we get? A lot of inflammatory conditions. If we also don't have enough microbiome, we get less small chain fatty acid, and one would be called butyrate. And butyrate is not only helpful in balancing your blood sugars and definitely improving insulin resistance, but it's also there to help improve your immune system. Also, you have less ability to make B12, B1, vitamin K, biotin, and even lactic acid, which makes the environment for pathogens very uncomfortable. Also, the microbiome are hoarding the food and the space to also limit the amount of pathogenic bacteria to exist. And the less microbiome you have, the weaker the intestinal barrier, and then you start getting leaky gut. And I really think, and this is my own opinion, that autoimmune disease starts in the gut. If you ever talk to someone who has an autoimmune disease, and I'm talking about like Hashimoto's, Crohn's, lupus, MS, they almost always have a gut problem. In my other videos, when I talk about uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, the way that that virus attacks your cell is through a receptor called the ACE2 receptor. Well, it just so happens that your gut has way more ACE2 receptors than the lung tissue. So this is another mode of entry into the cell that goes beyond just your lung infection, which is Huh. What did I say about the gut? Quite interesting. If you want to know what to do to support the microbiome, check out this video right here. Did you hear what he said? That the ACE2 receptor that they're saying COVID attacks in your lung, well, you have a lot more of those. Therefore, you can train a lot more of those viruses through the gut. 
what did he say? ACE2 receptor in the gut. So what, what in the butt? Yeah, that's what, what. You see, that's the key here. This is why I said it's very important. And as someone that suffers from gastrointestinal, um, you know, disruptions because of my liver condition, I can tell you, but I, that's why I said COVID's BS for me, for me, because I'm the most vulnerable. The mo- I, 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 every single box that's ticked and I'm supposed to be dead <laughs> or get it is like right there. <laughs> And nothing. Yeah, it's a one-way street right there, right? So let's continue on the gut a little bit so we can understand it. Um, Before we get into, um, you know, maybe we should watch this guy. So this guy called Healthcare Triage did a three-minute clip about the immune system T-cells in COVID-19. I want you to see this first. Um, It's quite interesting how he puts it. And he's not blocked on... On YouTube, of course, he's verified and reinforces what they want. But he says some really interesting things, just like Dr. Berg told you. ACE2 receptors, majority, are in your gut, in your intestine. Oh, and by the way, do you know where the highest concentration of them are? Guess what? It's the sigmoid portion of your colon, which is five to six inches from the entrance of your anus. Just thought I'd let you know that. So far, we've been pretty focused on the antibody side of things during the pandemic, but recent work suggests that T cells aren't sitting this one out. And that could mean something significant in terms of immunity, even for people who haven't been infected with the new coronavirus. That's the topic of this week's healthcare triage. Antibodies often steal the spotlight when we're talking about immunity, but they aren't the only big player in the immune system's response to threat. Both B and T cells are important soldiers in the war on pathogens. B cells produce the antibodies, which are meant to fight off a virus before it can enter a cell. On the other hand, killer T cells can seek out and destroy already infected cells. I didn't make that name up to work with the war metaphor here. They're really called killer T cells, although cytotoxic T cells work just as well. They're also helper T cells, which spend their time nudging other immune components to get the work. Data published in the last few months suggest that T cells could be an important part of the conversation surrounding both immunity and vaccine development. A study published in Cell at the end of May examined blood samples from 10 COVID-19 patients, detecting in all patients helper T cells that responded to the spike protein found on the surface of the virus and detecting killer T cells in 70% of those patients. Interestingly, helper T cells were also detected in some of the 11 healthy controls. Because these cells are responsive to components of the virus, like that spike protein, that are shared by other coronaviruses, there's some potential for a degree of immunity in individuals who have never been exposed to the novel virus if they have previously been exposed to other common coronaviruses. Another study published in Nature at the end of July reported similar findings, detecting helper T cells specific to that spike protein in 83% of COVID-19 patients and in 35% of the healthy controls. A study published in Science at the end of August reported reactivity of the helper cells that was comparable between SARS-CoV-2 and common coronaviruses. 
Study published in mid-August observed T-cell responses even in individuals with no detectable levels of antibodies. All of these data could be telling us something about what's behind the wide range of clinical responses we've seen so far, from asymptomatic to mild to severe. It's possible that individuals on the zero to mild end of symptoms are there because previous exposure to a common coronavirus has fitted them with some immunological protection, but it's hard to tell at this point. Overall, we really don't know yet what this means in terms of immunity, infection, or reinfection. Though incoming data suggests that these T cells express strong characteristics that we associate with immunity against the virus, so far we can't say for sure whether non-infected patients with T cells are less likely to get sick or to experience severe illness when they do, or whether previously infected patients with T cells and dipping antibody levels possess some level of immunity following recovery. If they do provide long-term immunity, that's great news on many different levels. T-cells can stick around for years. Data suggests at least 17 years for the SARS virus, but we haven't been in this long enough to know if that's true for the current 17. coronavirus. But as always, <laughs> we'll be keeping an eye on the data and we'll be back with any exciting updates. So I was going to talk about prime numbers today, but I'm not. Um, 17 years, they say, T-cells. So 17 years. Hmm, that's quite interesting. Very interesting. Now, there's this cute little video that I saw about um, how the brain can modulate the composition of our gut community. And it's, it's actually quite interesting showing the relationship between the two. Because remember, uh, like I said, when I showed you that video of the Chinese demonstrating how they're going to be anal swapping, I told you what you need to think about is what are they doing in your butt? Why? What are they swabbing? And I reminded you, remember, your gut trains your immunity. Now, oh, someone gave an answer that's not supposed to be out until 2023. I'm going to keep that quiet because that changes things. Tisk tisk. Here we go. Bacteria, viruses, fungi, bacteriophages, protozoa, and archaea. This community of organisms is critical to the maintenance of human health and heavily influences the progression of various diseases. A community in your gut is unique, much like your fingerprint. Your microbiome began to colonize you the moment you were born and can change throughout your lifetime. Good bacteria in your gut help you absorb nutrients from your food. They also take up space and hog vital nutrients so harmful microorganisms are not able to colonize, and they even teach immune cells how to identify harmful invaders. However, did you know that your gut microbiome also affects your mental health? These tiny beings help you break down food traveling through your intestines, hence producing metabolites which influence all of your cells, including those of your nervous system. Additionally, immune responses to harmful pathogens produce molecules that can affect brain physiology. But that's just scratching the surface. A healthy and diverse microbiome is essential for normal cognitive and emotional processing. Your microbiome communicates with the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, through nervous, endocrine, and immune signaling mechanisms. We don't yet have a good understanding of how the gut microbiome and central nervous system influence one another, but it has been shown that changes in gut flora composition can result in increased intestinal permeability, which allows neuroactive compounds to enter the blood. Other microbiota can produce compounds that affect gene expression in the nervous system. Research has shown that changes in microbiota can cause depression, influence one's reaction to social situations, 
and protect one's immune system from stress-induced changes. Amazingly, research using fecal transplants has shown that the microbiome can cause physiological changes that are even transferable between species. The microbiome and nervous system don't just have a one-way relationship, however. The microbiome can affect how we think, but also our nervous system and lifestyle have a major effect on the composition of our microbiome. So if you noticed, and those of you that are listening on uh, the podcast version, there was an image where it had the depressed person, and then they were talking about a fecal transplant, which is literally taking somebody's poop and putting it in, into somebody else, right? <laughs> where they inject you with somebody else's uh, poop. I'm not going to gag on there. I won't. I won't. So what it showed was that the, the mouse that they got the fecal transplant from that gave it to the other one suddenly became depressed. So think of it this way. What are they telling you? They're telling you that your mind and the way you feel and the way you respond and the way you express your genes, meaning silencing or amplifying your genetic code, is dependent on your immune nitty that is trained by your biodome inside. Remember I said we have the big biodome, which is on the outside of you, and then you have your own biodome on the inside, which they call the microdome. Microbiome. Well, <laughs> can you see where this is going? And I'm going to give you maybe a hint of what they're, what they've been doing and this is why there's a lot of misinformation. <laughs> oh, I struggle. So, um, well, let's just finish this and I'll think of how to state it. Although the human gut microbiome is generally fairly stable and resists change in community composition, the brain can actually modulate the composition of our gut community by changing intestinal permeability and secretions as well as by releasing hormones that affect microbial gene expression. Our gut flora composition can also be perturbed by changes in hormones, diet, antibiotics, emotional state, and stress. For instance, antibiotics reduce one's normal gut biota population, providing an opportunity for pathogenic biota to colonize the gut epithelium. It has been known for some time that the gastrointestinal system communicates with the brain. The enteric nervous system is a mesh of 500 million neurons governing the gastrointestinal tract. That's five times as many neurons as there are in your spinal cord. No wonder the enteric nervous system is sometimes called the second brain. Hypothetically, it could even operate autonomously. In reality, the enteric nervous system communicates with the central nervous system via the vagus nerve and prevertebral ganglia. Okay, did you get that? Let me leave that on the screen for those of you watching. Remember when I told you that there's a second brain in your body and that's your gut? The second brain? It can bypass everything and talk directly to your main brain, and that is the enteric or gastrointestinal nervous system. It only governs the gut area, and it has its own brain, right? It has more neurons than your spinal cord, which, as you see, just lifting up your finger or anything, right, it takes instantaneous motion. So just imagine what's going on in your gut. You know, hiccups, right? Did you know that there's a nerve that wraps around the back of your stomach and that's where it gets triggered? Did you know that? Yeah. I, 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 I learned that by studying 
um, I did this one um, one month seminar where um, there was a girl who had an injury and she couldn't stop hiccuping. But anyway, what you see is it can operate autonomously. So it doesn't even need the midbrain. The midbrain is the most important part of your main brain. The midbrain is what someone would call your brainstem. And that's where, you know, you start to create, it's like the base of your brain at the back of your head. Just imagine like the back of your neck, the nape of your neck right there. And over there, if you get damaged there, you can't breathe on your own. You can't, your heart, you're going to have issue. You're dead. Basically, you're like super dead. And that's why when people have pressure in their brain from an injury, they need to relieve it because the pressure stem, uh, the pressure actually pushes onto the brainstem. And once there's injury of the brainstem, there's no going back. Uh, that's, that's what regulates your heart rhythm and your ability to breathe. So um, just so you know, this independent nervous system bypasses all of that, even the midbrain, the way, well, it obviously has to go through there, but it doesn't get affected by damage to the midbrain, which was an experiment they did with cats. So it, com it completely is independent. Your gut is your second brain. I just wanted to point that out scientifically when I say trust your gut. Nerve and prevertebral ganglia. This biochemical signaling between the gastrointestinal tract and central nervous system is called the gut-brain axis. However, it is only now being realized just how much of an effect the microbiome has on the brain. And so the bidirectional interaction between the microbiome and the central nervous system is now being termed the microbiome-gut-brain axis. Absence of a normal gut microbiome in early life significantly impacts one's response to stress in adulthood. One of the first studies that turned the microbiome-gut-brain axis into a hot research topic was a study in 2004 that showed differences in behavior between germ-free and non-germ-free laboratory mice. The mice lacking a microbiome showed an exaggerated stress response. This was reversed when their gut was colonized by a bifidobacterium species. Elimination of the gut microbiome in mice resulted in problems with spatial and working memory. In other studies, dietary modifications also altered the performance of mice on memory tasks. One potential mechanism for these changes is the nerve growth factor, BDNF, which is short for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. This substance influences neuronal development, protects against stress-induced damage, and is important in determining stress tolerance, mood, and cognitive function. Mice with healthy microbiomes have higher expression of BDNF in their brains, which might be why they have better memories. Another study showed that, even in the absence of obesity, the microbiome associated with obesity can cause neurophysiological changes. Researchers used donor mice for the development of two different types of microbiomes. One group was fed a diet with 13% fat calories, while the other was fed a diet with 60% fat calories. Ten weeks after the diets commenced, the researchers harvested their microbiomes. At this time, mice from the leaner group weighed an average of 24.5 grams, while mice from the high-fat diet group weighed an average of 37 grams. Next, another group of mice, the microbiota recipients, were given antibiotics daily for two weeks to eliminate their original microbiomes. Three days after the end of the two-week course of antibiotics, the mice were recolonized by donor microbiota from either the group that had been fed the high-fat diet or from the group that had been fed the control diet. Behavioral testing was conducted, and results indicated a decrease in exploratory behavior and an increase in anxiety-based behavior for the high-fat microbiota-receiving recipients. However, the locomotor activity and total distance traveled was the same for both groups of recipient mice, indicating no effect of the different microbiomes on motor function.
The mice which received the high-fat diet microbiota also had increased intestinal permeability. The authors also examined markers for brain injury and inflammation and found that the high-fat diet microbiota-receiving mice had higher numbers for these markers. It is, of course, much more difficult to conduct studies regarding the relationship of the brain and the microbiome in humans. One interesting link that is still being investigated is the correlation between autism and high levels of Clostridium bacteria in children's stools. Around 70% of people with autism suffer from gastrointestinal problems. These gastrointestinal problems may be associated with an altered gut microbiome, one that causes increased intestinal permeability. Although much more research needs to be done before any conclusions can be made, it is possible that certain developments in gut flora may trigger autism, or that the two develop concurrently. One question this raises is whether C-sections increase risk of children developing autism. During their exit through the birth canal, babies come into contact with some of their mother's microbiome, the first bacteria they are exposed to, which then play an important role in the development of their own microbiome. However, babies born via C-section do not get exposed to these microbes. In fact, one study found a 21% higher risk of developing autism in children born by C-section. Other human studies have found that probiotics can reduce anxiety and OCD-like behavior, and can even help normalize emotion-related behavioral development after early life trauma. Consumption of probiotics can alter activity in areas of the brain involved in cognitive functions. Change in diet can also have profound and rapid effects on the structure of the gut microbiome in both human beings and mice, and these changes have been shown to influence memory and learning. More research on the microbiome-gut-brain axis will help us get further insights into disorders of both the gut and the central nervous system. This is exciting news because it may be that one day, neuropsychiatric disorders will be treated through gut microbiota. Oop, that's it. Neuropsychiatric disorders, or if you want to control the way people think, can most likely be done through the gut. What, what in the butt? You see where it's going? So... The Chinese are quite ambitious, right? Just like all those with power. They love power. It's always about power. It's always about control. Uh, the whole, you know, censoring is not about you being able to speak. It's about what you can hear and what you can read. It's to control you. Why would they need to control you? Because... Okay, you control me, so I can't say this. My thoughts change, therefore I don't question your authority. Now, there was um, there was one uh, video, which is misinformation, but maybe not so much misinformation, but um, that I wanted to um, introduce to you. And it talks about the Sumerian tablets, which, by the way, was the first time I ever, ever, ever tackled something in Suniform language to sit and um, parse through. You know, as a linguist, you know, it's great. It, it was fun. But I saw this one video that I could find that stated things that were written on these tablets that were very important. And, you know, after the plunder of Iraq, all that shit disappeared. Good thing I was there before that, right? Per se. Per se. So, um, I mean, that was through my talk with Buff Perry, if you remember. But um, it was quite fascinating to find something in there 
which I want you to, to link to. Remember when I talked about the God gene and I showed you that video where they were talking about how they wanted to create a vaccine or a drug to um, distribute among those in the Middle East to make them not believe in God anymore, right? Because, yeah, they're like so radical, right? Do, do you remember that? Well, why did they want to do it? So they can be obedient and not question things, right? That's the thing. You don't have a higher power. I am your higher power is what it does. There is no God. I am your God. That is what they want you to do. So now I want you to um, enjoy this, um, this clip. I found it from Viper TV. I know that ancient aliens had it at some point. I think they said it, but... I want you to listen to something because we're going to delve into it um, and talk about space just a little bit. The ability to realize and verify a complete zodiacal age shift of 2,160 years. Even the pre-Diluvian patriarchs, with what scholars consider fantastic longevities, 969 years for the record holder Methuselah and 930 for Adam, did not live long enough to observe a full zodiacal period. Noah, the hero of the deluge, lived a mere 950 years. Yet Sumerian recollections of the event named the zodiacal constellation Leo, in which it had happened. This was only part of the impossible knowledge possessed by the Sumerians. How could they have known all that they did? They themselves provided the answer. All that we know was taught to us by the Anunnaki, those who from heaven to earth came. And they, coming from another planet with a vast orbital period and a longevity in which one year encompassed 3,600 of earthlings, had no difficulty discerning procession and devising the 12-part zodiac. In a series of texts which formed the basis of ancient science and religion, and which were rendered later on in other tongues, including the Biblical Hebrew, the Sumerians' tales of the Anunnaki, of the ancient gods, have been the stuff of which mythology was made. In the Western cultures, the mythology that jumps first to mind is that of the Greeks. But it, as all the ancient mythologies and divine pantheons of all the nations, all over the world, stemmed from the original Sumerian beliefs and texts. There was a time, the Sumerians told, when civilized man was not yet on earth, when animals were only wild and undomesticated, and crops were not yet cultivated. At that long ago time there arrived on earth a group of fifty Anunnaki, led by a leader whose name was Ea, meaning whose home is water. They journeyed from their home planet Nibiru, planet of crossing, and reaching Earth, splashed down in the waters of the Persian Gulf. A text, known to scholars as the myth of Ea and the Earth, describes how that first group waded ashore, finding themselves in a marshland. Their first task was to drain the marshes, clear river channels, check out food sources found to be fish and fowl. They then began to make bricks from the clay of the soil, and established the first ever settlement on Earth, by extraterrestrials. They named the habitat Iridu, which meant home in the faraway, or home away from home. 
That name is the origin of the name Earth in some of the oldest languages. The time? 445,000 years ago. The astronauts' mission was to obtain gold by extracting it from the waters of the Gulf, gold needed for survival on Nibiru. For there, the planet was losing its atmosphere and thus also its internal heat, slowly endangering continued life on Nibiru. But the plan proved unworkable, and the leaders back home decided that gold could be obtained only the hard way, by mining it where it was in abundance, in southeastern Africa. The new plan called for a substantial increase in the number of Anunnaki on Earth, and in time they numbered 600. There was also a need for an elaborate operation of shipping out from Earth the refined gold and bringing in varied supplies. For that, 300 additional Nubiruans were employed as a gigi, those who observe and see, operating orbiting platforms and shuttlecraft. Nibiru's ruler, An, the Heavenly One, Anu in Akkadian, came to Earth to supervise the expanded presence and operations. He brought along with him two of his children, his son, Enlil, Lord of the Command, a strict disciplinarian to serve as chief of operations, and a daughter, Ninma, Mighty Lady, Chief Medical Officer. The division of duties between the pioneer Ea and the newly arrived Enlil proved tricky, and at a certain moment of impasse, Anyu was willing to stay on Earth and let one of his sons act as Viceroy on Nibiru. In the end, the three drew lots. Anyu returned to reign on Nibiru. Enlil's lot was to stay in the area of the original landing and expand it to an Edin, home of the Righteous Ones. His task was to establish additional settlements, each with a specific function, a spaceport, a mission control center, a metallurgical center, a medical center, or as landing beacons. And Aya's lot was to organize the mining operations in southeastern Africa, a task for which he, as an outstanding scientist, was not unsuited. That the task was within his competence did not mean that Aya liked the assignment away from Eden. So to compensate him for the transfer, he was given the title name Enki, Lord of Earth. Enlil might have thought that it was just a gesture. Ea, or Enki, however, took the title more seriously. Though both were sons of An, they were only half-brothers. Ea, or Enki, was the first-born son, and normally would have followed his father on the throne. But Enlil was a son born to Anu by a half-sister of his. And according to the succession rules on Nibiru, that made Enlil the legal heir, even if not first-born. Now, the two half-brothers found themselves on another planet, facing a potential conflict. If the mission to Earth would become an extended affair, perhaps even a permanent colonization of another planet, who would be in supreme authority, the Lord of Earth or the Lord of the Command? The matter became an acute problem for Enki, in view of the presence on Earth of his son Marduk, as well as Lil's son Ninurta. For while the former was born to Enki by his official consort, the latter was born to Enlil, on Nibiru, by the half-sister Ninma. When both were unmarried, Enlil married Ninlil, on Earth, Ninma never married, and that gave Ninurta precedence over Marduk in the line of succession. 
Unabashed philanderer that he was, Inky decided to remedy the situation by having sex with his half-sister, too, hoping also to have a son by her. The lovemaking produced a daughter instead. Unrelenting, Enki lost no time in sleeping with the daughter as soon as she matured. But she too bore a daughter. Ninma had to temporarily immobilize Enki to put an end to his conjugal attempts. Though he could not attain a son by a half-sister, Enki was not lacking other male offspring. In addition to Marduk, son of the pure mound, who had also come from Nibiru, there were the brothers, Nurgle, Great Watcher, Gibble, he of the fire, Nenagal, prince of the great waters, and Dumuzi, son who is life. It is not certain that all of them were in fact mothered by Inki's official spouse, Ninki, Lady Earth. It is virtually certain that the sixth son, Ningish Sida, lord of the artifact or tree of life, was the result of a liaison between Enki and Enlil's granddaughter, Ereshkigal, when she was a passenger on his ship on the way from Eden to Africa. A Sumerian cylinder seal depicted Enki and his sons. Once Enlil had married his official consort, a young nurse who was given the epithet name Ninlil, Lady of the Command, he never wavered in his fidelity to her. They had together two sons, the moon god Nanar, the Bright One, who was later known as Sin by the Semitic-speaking peoples, and a younger son, Ishkur, he of the mountains, who is better known by the name Adad, the beloved son. This paucity of offspring compared to Enki's clan might explain why the three children of Nanar or Sin and his spouse Ningal, great lady, were quickly included in the leadership of the Anunnaki, in spite of their being three generations removed from Anu. They were the previously mentioned Ereshkigal, mistress of the great land, and the twins Utu, the shiny one, and Inanna, An's beloved, the Shamash, sun god, and Ishtar, Astarte, or Venus, of later pantheons. At the peak of their presence on Earth, the Anunnaki numbered 600, and the texts named quite a number of them, as often as not indicating their roles or functions. The very first text dealing with Enki's initial splashdown names some of his lieutenants, and the tasks assigned to them. The governors of each of the settlements established by the Anunnaki were named, as were all ten antediluvian rulers in the Eden. The female offspring born as a result of Enki's shenanigans were identified, as were their assigned husbands. Recalled by name were chamberlains and emissaries of the principal gods, as were male and female deities in charge of specific activities. Now, I want to uh, stop this right here for a second. It sounds very familiar to Greek mythology and Roman mythology, only with different names. So all of these tales seem to have the same, you know, kind of concept. Even Venus, the pantheon, she was the goddess of people. Uh, and, and it's like, this is way before the Greeks, isn't it? But one thing is common to all the God stories. They came here for gold. Because for in this tale, and I remember when I read it and I was thinking, well, um, the only thing that keeps our internal heat in on our planet is what, guys? Do you know what layer of our um, atmosphere actually uh, helps us maintain our heat? 
It's ozone. So the question is, ozone, we know, gets destroyed by uh, volcanoes. We went through this. Nobody talks about it. But the question is, how does gold factor into ozone? So I wanted us to like just think about that for a second. Um, there is a um, video that I will play, which also talks about um, gold, and it's from my favorite Russian. Right? I, I support him on Patreon. I actually asked him, hey, yo, I'll pay you because I want him to conduct an experiment that I want you guys to see. Um, so I'm waiting for him to get back to me. But gold, gold. Now, on Earth, gold is supposedly very precious. Obviously, there's things that are more expensive than gold that you probably don't know the name of. And, and, and next week, we'll take, you know, a hiatus from, uh, you know, um, the news. Uh, we're going to need a hiatus at some point because uh, it's going to be a little bit, what? Well, you'll see. Um, where I'll introduce you to that element. But the gold aspect of it is is pretty incredible uh, because it's a it's a reoccurring theme. Another thing, this video, and I'll drop it in um, the chats that you'll see is that they were mining gold. So what they decided to do was, you know, make whatever inhabitants of the planet there humans, in other words, or they created humans, just like the gods of Greece did. They mated with whoever was there, right? a little bit smarter so they understand so they can conduct their operations. And it sounds totally legit. Of course, if you're going to go to a planet, let's say like Mars, <laughs> just saying, and you mine it for, I don't know, like silver, right? You're going to take humans that are going to be obedient and shut up and just continue to mine all day wearing potato sacks, going through the mines and mining and mining and mining without rebellion, without asking questions, without anything, knowing that they are just a good that can be either feasted upon or used. And that is exactly how the humans were for all these stories of all these mythological gods that were coming from somewhere else. They would take the humans and they would create them to the point where they were just mundane, you know, slaves in essence. And they did this through genetic manipulation. That's actually on the tablets, Sumerian tablets, that they changed the DNA. So the question is, we're doing a lot of this genetic modification uh, that is causing cognitive issues, questionable issues over the past half a century. And now it is being realized by many scientists that in order to have more permanent um, expression of, and I'm air quoting here, immunity, you must do it through the gut, right? Um, so I want you to think gold space, right? As, uh, I introduce you to gold because I know we see it as something shiny and incredible and, but it's very specific. I want you to remember the three wise men, when they went to visit Jesus, they brought a few elements with them, right? One of them was gold, and you have to think gold, gold. Maybe because it's shiny and everyone knew it was worth. Let me tell you something. Think about it this way. Why did the people of ancient times claim that gold was precious? Like, what gave them that, you know, thing? They could have said, you know, copper was the best thing ever. 
who told them that gold is the most important metal? Why was everyone dabbed and, you know, put and draped in gold? Why wasn't it silver or, I don't know, freaking coal, for example? Why isn't coal, like, awesome? Why isn't zinc or aluminum or copper or whatever? Why gold? I mean, you had to come up with something. Somebody has to tell you it has value in order for you to see value in it, right? It's like the dollar. If you don't give it value, right, and you're like, nah, you're not buying my cow for a dollar, I want a sheep. I find that the sheep is more worth than your dollar. You give it power, just like you give power to your social media influencers and your news and your content and your media stars and your musicians. The only reason they're making videos is because you're paying for them. If you weren't paying to listen to their music, they're not important. So who told them that gold is important? Because it kind of is. This guy. Um, oh, and I have told you, okay, because he shows a solid gold toilet. I have told you about that time where I was in the Middle East and there was a solid gold toilet that I had the privy of using. Gold for chemists. Oh, agent. Hello everyone! In this video, I am going to tell you about gold, a metal which can be used not only for making jewelry, but also for making highly effective medicines and even tests for different diseases. In the periodic table of chemical elements, gold, along with silver and copper, belongs to group 11. The history of humankind is closely intertwined with these free resistant metals. All right. So, as you guys know, I absolutely adore this guy. I actually think his accent is pretty cool. Um, so, these are the three important metals. So, now he's going to talk to you about gold. And what he said in the introduction, pay attention, what he said in the introduction is, that it's very important, you know, for whatever, making beautiful jewelry or whatever, but it's also used in medicine. In medicine. I want you to pay attention to this. Because due to their low reactivity, they naturally occur in their pure forms. But in contrast to silver and copper, people first noticed pure gold because its glossy shine attracted more attention than dull silver and copper ores. About 40,000 years ago, our ancestors began using this metal as jewelry because gold is too soft for making tools or weapons. This is the reason why about 3,000 years ago, first coins in ancient Lydia were made not of pure gold, but rather of its naturally occurring alloy with silver, called electron, because silver in the alloy made coins harder. Unfortunately, Nowadays, encountering native gold for ordinary people is almost impossible. That is why, in order to demonstrate your properties of this metal, I bought one gram of this precious metal, 
and it costs 70 euros. Just like all other gold found on Earth, these small bits of gold formed as a result of nuclear synthesis inside a far-off exploding supernova, or when two neutron stars collided. Also, gold's atomic mass isn't that big. It is way less abundant in Earth's crust than uranium or thorium. Even through the likelihood of their synthesis during cosmic explosion is much lower. It turns out that because of its high density and low chemical activity, at the early stage of Earth's formation, almost all gold on our planet sank into the planet's iron core, whereas thorium or uranium just oxidized it and dissolved in the molten minerals. That is why all that's left is to be counted with a tiny amount of gold, which was ejected in lava from the Earth's center during volcano eruptions and brought by asteroids. Of course, modern technologies allow people to synthesize gold on their own. For instance, by bombarding bismuth atoms in a particle accelerator. Remember how we talked about creating your own gold a couple weeks ago? I want you to remember that episode. It's quite important because the properties of gold are very important too. To knock in some protons and neutrons from them, receiving different isotopes of gold. However, the majority of such isotopes will be radiative, and the cost of one gram of gold produced with such particle accelerators will be a million times that of gold dug in mines. That is why we should be happy that all the hard labor has been done by nature inside huge and hot stars. As I mentioned earlier, gold's density is one of the highest, being just 40% less dense than the densest metal, osmium. At the same time, pure gold is very soft. I decided to check how pure my nugget of gold is using an old technique, which is biting it with my teeth. The shop didn't cheat, and there is a noticeable mark on the gold nugget left by my teeth, which indicates that this is fine gold. If either silver or copper is added to gold, becomes significantly harder, and there will be no marks left by the teeth on such gold piece. Besides the biting test, we can also easily bend such a gold nugget with bare hands. In my opinion, its softness is similar to that of lead. For the sake of good order, I also decided to check the hardness of my gold nugget with this hardness tester, and also to see how its hardness compares with that of lead. Gold is slightly harder than lead, but it's a hundred times more expensive and twice as dense. That is why nowadays gold jewelry is not made of pure gold, rather it is made of alloys of gold either with silver or copper in order for such jewelry to be harder. If you didn't know, the content of gold in your necklace can be determined using the marked fininess on your jewelry. For instance, the fineness 585 means that gold makes up 58.5%. Did you know that? Did you know that that stamp tells you? So when you go and buy fine jewelry, you know, 585 means that only 58.5% of that necklace or that bracelet is actual gold. So you're never really buying gold because it's too bendable. Um, 
24 karat gold jewelry is quite popular in India. It's actually quite malleable, very soft, right? Very soft. 14K is a lot uh, stronger, right? So you have to understand um, that's how they tell you how much percentage of the actual element is in there. However, this precious metal can be used not only for making jewelry, but also for making scientific devices. For instance, gold films is used for making highly sensitive detectors, which can detect just several atoms of highly radioactive and volatile elements. Speaking of foil, a pure gold can be rolled into a sheet, the thickness of which is thousand times smaller than the thickness of a human hair. Thus, you'll get a gold leaf. Now it's time to learn about the chemical properties of this precious metal. First, let us see how gold reacts with different acids. I decided to run the first test with concentrated muriatic acid, and I'm also going to see how an aluminum foil reacts with this acid. We can clearly see that aluminum immediately starts reacting with hydrochloric acid, whereas gold doesn't react with it at all. Now, let's see if gold can withstand concentrated nitric acid. For comparison, I have also submerged a piece of copper in it. Just in several seconds, copper actively starts dissolving in the nitric acid, releasing a reddish gas, which is nitrogen dioxide. Whereas gold doesn't react with nitric acid, it can only get rid of the dim fat layer left by my fingers. For my next experiment, I decided to boil this poor piece of gold in a molten alkali. Some time later, the glass jar itself started dissolving in the sodium hydroxide. Speaking of gold, it didn't change and only stuck to the formed sodium metasilicate, which formed when glass started reacting with sodium hydroxide. That's why it's fair to say that gold doesn't react neither with common acids nor with alkali. For the last experiment, with this piece of gold, I decided to use a gas burner. When heated above 1000 degrees Celsius, gold starts melting, but along with that, it doesn't oxidize. That's what I call durability. Because of its durability, gold is used to cover contacts for many electric devices, for instance, processor connector spins, or contacts of computer data storage. Besides, Gold reflects light very well, especially infrared light. That is why many satellites are covered with gold foil in order for them not to overheat in the sunlight. However, no matter how resistant this metal is to acids and alkali, under special conditions it can be chemically altered and dissolved. To show you that, I have submerged this piece of gold into 5 milliliters of hydrochloric acid, just like the previous time. And at first, nothing was happening. But then, I added 1 milliliter of concentrated nitric acid and then started heating it all. And all right, so what he's doing now, he's dissolving gold. Dissolving, kind of like when you add salt to water and you mix it, right? And it just gets 
creates that reaction where the salt becomes, you know, NaCl in the water, right? Uh, it splits and it dilutes. This is what he's doing. So hydrochloric acid with sulfuric acid with nit nitric acid together separately doesn't do anything. But when you bring them together and then you add heat to accelerate, it starts to dissolve. And now gold finally started to slowly dissolve. The thing is, when concentrated hydrochloric and nitric acid are mixed together, they create what's known as aqua regia, which from a chemical point of view is a solution containing chlorine, nitrogen dioxide and nitrosyl chloride. All these chemicals make the mixture highly corrosive, which is why such metals as gold and even platinum can dissolve in this solution. When gold is dissolved in aqua regia, it releases nitric oxide and creates chlorouric acid, dyes this solution in yellow color. That is why, even in spite of its high resistance to acids, even gold can be dissolved under certain conditions. Just in 20 minutes of heating in aqua regia, the one gram of gold completely dissolved, without any traces, and I think Unexperienced people won't even guess that there is gold in this solution. In such a way, you can hide gold treasures. Just as Hungarian chemist George de Hevesi hid gold Nobel medals of Max von Leeuwe and James Frank, he did it when Nazi Germany occupied Denmark during the Second World War. Did you see what he said? So as you saw, it was like a, a goldy looking liquid, but there was gold in there. You just can't see it. It just looks like a liquid. And these dudes literally hid their gold during Nazi Germany to, uh, you know, hide it from them because it's in there. How awesome is that, right? If you didn't know, this yellow solution can be turned back into gold. I diluted it with water and then added a solution containing 2.6 grams of sodium metabisulfite. When chlorouric acid reacts with sodium metabisulfite, metallic gold starts depositing, and it actually doesn't look like gold. The thing is, now these particles are too small and cannot reflect light like a whole nugget of gold. After depositing, I'm filtering gold particles with a regular filter. In order not to lose any of the precious gold, I'm not separating gold from the filter, Rather, I'm drying the whole filter, and then I'm burning it in a small crucible. When being melted, the majority of gold remains in the flux, whereas the paper filter will just burn down. With the help of a gas burner, I managed to turn that weird powder back into a gold droplet. For my next experiments, I needed soluble compounds. That is why I dissolved my gold once again. Now I'm going to use this solution for obtaining gold nanoparticles, which is a very promising material. In so as you saw, all he did was put in the right chemicals, and then he said because the gold was so far and apart and you know just to make it more layman it wasn't reflecting light it had to come together and the way he came together remember gold melts but it doesn't disappear with fire right it melts so what he did was he let all that powder sit and soak into that filter and then when it dried he set it on fire and the paper went away and what remained was gold solid gold again but what he did was he dissolved it again to create gold nano 
particles. Medicine and other branches. The process is fairly simple. I'm just adding a couple of droplets of 9% chloroauric acid solution to 200 milliliters of water and heating the solution to 95 degrees Celsius. After heating the mixture, I'm adding 2 milliliters of 1% trisodium citrate and start waiting. A couple of minutes later, the color first changed to blue, then to violet, and in the end, it became bright red. The trisodium citrate is slowly reducing gold from its components, creating gold nanoparticles. Because of their small size, of just several tens of nanometers. Gold particles don't deposit on the bottom of the beaker, but rather they create a colloidal solution, which is a stable suspended matter. These particles resonate with light, changing the color of solution to red. If I point a laser at the solution, we will see how the beam of light is reflected of the suspended particles in the water solution. Interestingly enough, if we add a little bit of 5% of salt solution, the gold particles in it will start merging and the color of the solution will change. Since the salt solution has merged the gold particles, the beam of light passing through them gets brighter. Nowadays, such gold nanoparticles have a lot of potential application in medicine. For instance, Molecules of medicine can be attached to such gold nanoparticles and they can be used to transport molecules to the needed organs in our body. Also, recently there has come our news that gold nanoparticles can be used to make novel tests for a very well-known recent disease in which antibodies will be attached to gold particles reacting to COVID-19. To sum up, we can say that besides being used for making different gold jelly, gold has a huge potential to be used for making future medicines and materials, all application of which we are yet to see. That is why if you want to see more chemical reaction with this metal, don't forget to subscribe to my channel and give this video a thumbs up. So nanoparticles are what are in the PCR tests uh, for COVID-19, gold nanoparticles, golden buttholes. What, what in the butt? So not only do they help convey medications to the organs that are necessary, right, but they also provide specific, highly specific <laughs> detection. Remember how he said that a lot of them can indicate and show dangerous toxins. Remember when he said that? When thin foils that they use them? So now uh, I want you to think of this. If history or these myths, which are oral history, seems to be very repetitive, only changing a few things. I mean, we also have to look at the first chapter of the Septuagint, in which I did a video. They seem to all have the same type of repetitive story. How someone came and taught them all this, mated with them, changed their DNA. Some changed the DNA, others say mated with them. And their ultimate attachment to it was gold. Gold, 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 gold. And lately we've been seeing that for the past four years, something that was brought to everybody's attention was the fact that China... Um, 
and a lot of other nations that are supposedly friendly uh, have been heading to gold, 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 getting gold, gold, gold. Venezuela has been attacked for gold, gold, gold. Right. But one thing people don't talk about is the miners. Now, here's a little, you know, fun fact. In Korea, there are islands called the Salt Islands. Are kidnapped. There are rumors that they're cloning human beings as well. They're kidnapped and put on these islands in the salt mines. And they're slaves. It's actual slaves. It's a big open secret that nobody talks about. Slaves that are miners. Right? They mine in the salt mines. They're slaves. The Korean salt mines, look it up. It's an open secret. They kidnap people and throw them there. Now, they're all miners. Now, you know, there's a trend lately. A trend of mining. A big trend. Uh, and in order to mine things, you know, you have to be capable of having good lungs, right? You're not going to send someone that's not immune to inhaling things, right? You're not going to, um, use, like people on Mars, like, do you know what the atmosphere is like there? Honestly, do you? No. But you do, you, you know what they show you, what you're allowed to know or what they want you to know, right? Because, you know, mm. so how am I going to put this? So a trend happened a while ago. People were very ambitious in rare earth metals. So we have miners, right? Mining is a great job, right? It's, uh, you get paid a lot because you're underground, right? Uh, you pretty much get sick uh, quite early, but you make a crap ton of money and people are happy with that job. There are very few people um, that, that, you know, there's people that, are, that find their flow in doing stuff like that. They like it, right? And that's cool. They like the repetitive task and, and they like it. They like it. They like doing work, you know, using their bodies. Great. So, um, did you know that SpaceX, do you know what the point of SpaceX is? Psyche, psyche, soul. <laughs> That's the goal. So, years ago, about a decade ago, this new trend happened, you know, when, when uh, Sir Branson, you know, Obama's butt buddy, right? And kitty, fellow kitty diddler buddy. Well, he started to create, you know, he had the galactic, Virgin Galactic, where they go up into space with an airplane and have dinner for like 30 minutes and then you come back, right? People started to look out into space because we know that, you know, rocks, meteors that fall out of space, they have some out of this world minerals, right? That could be interesting. That could be something of um, our liking, right? When they fall and they land. So some people thought, well, um, 
why wait for them to fall? Let's go get them. Now, in order to do that, one would say um, you're going to send up equipment, China did, actually, to grab one of these meteors, asteroids, and mine them, right? And mine them. So, you know, I really wanted to talk about this before it came to, but I wanted people to actually see this for themselves and see how realistic the one explanation is to the reality. And why do I say this? So mining asteroids is actually a thing. In fact, Elon Musk is um, headed to... Um, mine an asteroid that is um, worth 700 quintillion. No joke. 700 quintillion. So um, there is a video that was put out for it. Now I'm going to show you what they're telling you. But then I'm going to show you what they're telling you and you tell me how realistic that looks. And then think about mining and history and what it's taught you about it. Hello, Frontier. Sure, we've all heard this famous tagline from Star Trek, but this massive void is more like the frontiers of the Wild West than you know. Believe it or not, space contains wealth and riches far beyond your wildest imaginations. Let's not forget, scientists have discovered an enormous cosmic diamond named BPM 37093, which is a crystallized white dwarf star. Basically, it's a diamond 4,000 meters long. However, we won't be traveling there anytime soon. So, is there anything closer to Earth? You bet there is. And it takes the form of a giant, golden asteroid. Oh, you heard that right. It's a ginormous, golden asteroid whizzing around our solar system with an orbit that's the equivalent of about five Earth years. And with asteroids becoming legal to own in 2016, you better believe that wealthy celebrities have already taken an interest. It seems it's only a matter of time before someone gets up there and becomes really, really rich. Here's some stats about everyone's favorite soft metal and why you should be interested. If you're trying to invest your hard-earned money, one of the safest bets is buying gold. In fact, this past July in 2020, prices per ounce of gold climbed up to $1,800 per ounce. This is the highest gold has been since September of 2011. And frankly, the uncertainty that this year has brought and most likely will continue to bring. Did y'all forget the United States also holding its presidential election in only a few short months? Who knows what will happen? But one thing is for certain, and that is statistics. Gold is on the rise, with an estimated 19% rise in value this year alone. Things are looking pretty darn good for gold, aren't they? Well, until you throw in a curveball that most investors aren't thinking of. And by curveball, we actually mean a gigantic 173 mile by 144 mile wide massive ball of metal. We want to introduce you to the M-type asteroid 16 Psyche. It's shaped like your standard potato. However, it's much, much bigger and made of stuff that is much more valuable. See, the reason that it is called an M-type asteroid is this. The majority of its composition is metallic, meaning that it is mostly made of metals like iron and nickel, commonly found here on Earth. Ah, but the metals don't stop there. Scientists have discovered that 16 Psyche is also compromised of mind-boggling amounts of gold and heaps of platinum. Just how much are these metals worth? Try this on for size. 16 Psyche, if mined, would yield 10,000 quadrillion dollars. That's 19 zeros, people. 
So what is this floating fortune doing floundering through our favorite neighborhood, the solar system? Scientists believe that this is actually the leftover remnants of the core of a planet. They think that this planet must have formed around the time that our solar system was taking shape and through massive amounts of collisions from heavenly bodies that took place billions of years ago. These collisions could have been asteroids, moons, other planets, comets, and more. And before long, the rocky surface was chipped away, and slowly but surely, all that was left was this incredibly dense and metallic core. It is also speculated that this planet was probably the size of Mars at least. Now you may be wondering, how in the heck can we know all this about a giant rock that, at its maximum distance, is 497 million miles from the Sun? That's 3.3 astronomical units for all of you out there in the know. For those that don't, a single astronomical unit is the equivalent of the distance from the Earth to the Sun. So yeah, this asteroid is far out there. But by studying it through both the visible and infrared spectrum, as well as using radar, they can get a surprisingly accurate portrait of what it looks like, what it's made of, and more. They can even figure out it takes 4 hours for 16 Psyche to rotate on its axis. Compared to the 24 hours it takes here on Earth, this baby is spinning at super speeds. But even with all this incredible information, there is only so much you can learn from observing at such a long distance away. Which is why scientists at NASA are very interested in sending a probe up to 16 Psyche. Mainly because they believe, by studying what is thought to be an exposed planet core, they will learn more about Earth. And get even more information on what it was like in the early years during the formation of our solar system and planet. And due to the asteroid being not too far away, after all, it's located right between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. It has already been announced that they will be able to launch a rocket in August of 2022. And the company behind the launch will be none other than SpaceX. Once up there, the real fun will begin. And by using a ton of incredibly advanced instruments, like a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer, we will get an even more detailed and accurate look at just what this giant golden potato is made of. Who knows? We may find that there is even more gold than we thought. But why stop there? Who is to say there couldn't be diamonds too? Diamonds! Diamonds, don't you see? Diamonds will make everything all better! <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, we're just, uh, we're huge Simpsons fans here. Looks like we won't know for sure until the craft arrives at its far-off destination by the year 2026. Once it arrives, it is slated to remain in orbit for 21 months. This will be quite a historic mission as well, due to the fact that this will be the first time that we will be investigating a heavenly body that is not made of rock and ice. Oh yeah, you heard that right. Up till this mission, there hasn't been any rocket sent to probe any metallic object in our solar system. It's truly a legendary endeavor, and we as a species will have taken leaps forward in finding not only our place in the world, but our place in the universe. It's a fantastic time to be alive. But look, that's all well and good. Learning about where we came from is great and all, but uh, the truth of the matter is this is a giant piece of gold flying through space worth quadrillions of dollars. We want to know if someone can mine this bad boy. Let's split the pot. No one would ever starve again, and we could all have giant mansions just like the richest here on Earth. Right? Well, here's the thing. First of all, if this asteroid were to be mined, it would be absolutely devastating to our economy. We're talking really, really bad. Not just bad like at the end of trading spaces bad, but monstrously, unfathomably, world-cripplingly bad. Without a doubt, this would occur all over the world, and to everyone. Basically, all money would devalue almost instantly, and that includes the money held by the governments of the world. So yes, technically, there would be enough gold to go around to make every single person a billionaire. But remember, when everyone is a billionaire, no one is. 
But that doesn't mean that private investors and companies aren't interested in getting up there and taking a swing at the potato-shaped fortune. In fact, everyone's favorite billionaire, Elon Musk, not to mention the man behind SpaceX, has sent out some rather coy tweets hinting that he would be very interested in mining 16 Psyche. See, this idea is nothing new. The one that says there is a wealth of gold to be mined up in the heavens. In fact, there are two companies called... Wait, I wanted to show you something and state it. Wait, is it there? There we go. Hold on. Sent out some rather coy tweets. Whoa, whoa. The tweet. Psyche. Soul. When did he tweet it? On the day that Shadowgate was. 14th of August. Hmm. Interesting. Hinting that he would be very interested in mining 16 Psyche. See, this idea is nothing new. The one that says there is a wealth of gold to be mined up in the heavens. In fact, there are two companies called Deep Space Industries and Planetary Resources that are backed by big-name celebs. And these companies are specifically geared towards mining and extracting gold from asteroids in our solar system. They've even been eyeing another asteroid, known as 2011 UW-158 asteroid. And while it's nowhere near the levels of wealth contained on 16 Psyche, this floating gold mine is twice the size of the Tower of London and still worth an approximate $5.7 trillion. No wonder people are scrambling to get up there. Which brings us back to Mr. Musk, who, when asked if he would comment on the idea of him mining the gold in asteroids due to gold not having a fixed supply, he simply tweeted the word Psyche and linked to an article by Fox News stating the gold up there would make everyone on Earth a billionaire. Touché, Mr. Musk. Touché. <laughs> so, looks like the rich are just going to get richer and richer and richer until, well, they mine the gold from the asteroids, crash the world's economy, spiral life as we know it into oblivion, and watch as we all have to pick up the pieces. Oh, wait, that sounds eerily similar to 2020 already, everyone's favorite year. And yes, we mean that with as much sarcasm as we can muster, people. Hey, you know what? We say, go for it. Bring that gold down from the heavens and let and uh, let's just think about it. What he said was that the gold was the core of a planet that existed, that existed, the soul of a planet, and they name it Psyche, which means soul. So let me show you a time-lapse video of asteroid mining. It's actual, uh, a huge drill doing its first drill test in space. Um, and this happened, um, well, you have to see it to believe it, on my birthday, 2020. So <laughs> I want you guys to see it. It's a minute. A lot of you that are listening to podcasts, you won't. It's uh, four hours crammed into one minute, four hours to break through. So as you saw, a lot of you were like, well, that's CGI. No, duh. But there was a lot of stuff you should have been paying attention to that one minute video. History repeats itself. And it's kind of interesting because as I've said many, many times before, time is but a concept. Time exists simultaneously. The past, the present, and the future. Your future is dependent on your present and your present is dependent on your past. Therefore, they are simultaneous. And uh, this is a realm that you are in of time that is influenced by you. How, how can I say this better? It is slowed to the point where you are able to uh, retroactively observe. 
So it brings me to politics now. Now that you've seen the importance of gold, you've seen uh, the importance of space, you've seen the importance of the Elons of Mars. Have you ever, ever heard of that? You should look at that. You understand a few things of quantum, right? You're, you're getting it. You're understanding your microdome, microbiome, your biome, your ecobiome, which is your world, and now your space biome, your more expanded biome. So now let's get into your time biome, where you can slow down for a bit. Uh, it's more existential the stuff that Gavin puts out on, how the older you are, you are able to watch the grass grow, whereas you're younger, it feels like an eternity. Remember when you were a kid, you were like, oh my gosh, can't wait to grow up. This is so slow. Time was actually slow for you. You weren't growing up fast enough. And your parents would always say, my gosh, in a blink of an eye, you were a baby and now look at you. Like I see my daughter every single day and I'm like, oh, what happened to the little feet, right? So now with time, as you are experiencing retroactively, one thing that um, has been happening, let's take this to the politics, which we are very well versed on, is that every year there is a State of the Union. I've seen a lot of people saying, well, Obama didn't do one in 2009. Trump didn't do one in 2017. Actually, they did. And it wasn't called the State of the Union, right? For what reason? Well, for one thing, Obama was, you know, still coming up for air because everyone was going after him. Everybody. Why were they going after him? Because of what he did. What did he do? Come on, are we going to start with the whole fines, the judges, the obfuscating, his history? There's tons of stuff he did, right? Tons. So, and what about President Trump? Well, he did one too. He did one as well. But what was it, that one that he did? It was called an address. It was an unofficial State of the Union. So within the first, you know, month, which is by the end of February, and actually President Trump gave his unofficial State of the Union address in on February 28th, 2017, just so you know, he's having another one. The actual President of the United States is having another one, right? Is having another one. But what I want you to do is listen to a very specific part of last year's State of the Union so you can see time in rewind. Very specific portion that I will pause upon coming to that specific frame. Our leader, Mitch McConnell. Thank you, Mitch. <laughs> and his colleagues in the Senate. We have confirmed a record number of 187 new federal judges to uphold our Constitution as written. This includes two brilliant new Supreme Court justices, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. Thank you. And we have many in the pipeline. Yes, we do. Number one. My administration is also defending religious liberty 
And that includes the constitutional right to pray in public schools. In America, we don't punish prayer. We don't tear down crosses. We don't ban symbols of faith. We don't muzzle preachers and pastors. In America, we celebrate faith. We cherish religion. We lift our voices in prayer and we raise our... Did you see Nancy Pelosi's reaction? I want you guys to see that again. It's very important. It's very important to understand what the real war is. Very important. Listen to it again and watch her reaction. Of 187 new federal judges to uphold our Constitution as written. This includes two brilliant new Supreme Court justices, Neil Gorsuch look and Look at Jeff her Kavanaugh. shock when, she, when he says, we pray. Just look at her shock. Wait. I'll tell you when. Look at the Democrats not clapping. Look at the, the military not clapping. Watch. And we have many in the pipeline. Yes, we do. My administration is also defending religious liberty, and that includes the constitutional right to pray in public schools. Pay attention. In America, we don't punish prayer. We don't tear down crosses. We don't ban symbols in of God faith. we trust. We don't muzzle preachers and pastors. In America, we celebrate faith. We cherish religion. We lift right here. our voices look, in prayer. Look at her. And we raise our We lift our voices in prayer, she says, and she gets shocked. Just Did you see that? we believe in the First Amendment, we also believe in another constitutional right that is under siege all across our country. So long as I am president, I will always protect your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Can't have armed citizens, can't make mining slaves with that. <laughs> In reaffirming our heritage as Look a at her tearing nation, the paper slowly. We must remember that America has always been a frontier nation. Now we must embrace the next frontier. Who's she America's talking to? manifest Did you miss destiny that? in the stars. I am asking Congress to fully fund the Artemis program to ensure that the next man and the first woman on the moon will be American astronauts using this as a launching pad to ensure that America is the first nation to plant its flag on Mars. Hmm. My administration is also strongly defending our national security and combating radical Islamic terrorism. She's reading. Last week, I announced a groundbreaking plan for peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Recognizing that all past attempts have failed, we must be determined and creative in order to stabilize the region and give millions of young people the chance to realize a better future. Three years ago, the barbarians of ISIS held over 20,000 square miles of territory in Iraq and Syria. Syria, Syria, Syria. Hold on. Let's get to the good part. What he says after this. Let's go. Here we go. Welcome home, Sergeant Williams. Thank you very much. 
As the world bears witness tonight, America is a land of heroes. This is a place where greatness is born, where destinies are forged, and where legends come to life. This is the home of Thomas Edison and Teddy Roosevelt, of many great generals, including Washington, Pershing, Patton, and MacArthur. This is the home of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Amelia Earhart, Harriet Tubman, the Wright brothers, Neil Armstrong, and so many more. This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas Patriots made their last stand at the Alamo. Hmm. Texas Alamo. Settled the Wild West, lifted millions from poverty, disease, and hunger, vanquished tyranny and fascism, ushered the world to new heights of science and medicine, laid down the railroads, dug out the canals, raised up the skyscrapers, and ladies and gentlemen, our ancestors built the most exceptional republic ever to exist in all of human history, and we are making it greater than ever before. The brains of it all, Melania. Look at her tearing the paper slowly. It was staged. We're watching a movie. This is our glorious and magnificent inheritance. We are Americans. We are pioneers. We are the pathfinders. We settled the new world. We built the modern world. And we changed history see how it was forever pre-ripped? by embracing Did you see it? the eternal truth that everyone is made equal by the hand of Almighty God. America is the place where anything can happen. America is the place where anyone can rise. And here, on this land, on this soil, on this continent, the most incredible dreams come true. This nation is our canvas, and this country She's getting is ready. our masterpiece. We look at tomorrow and see unlimited frontiers just waiting to be explored. Our brightest discoveries are not yet known. Our most thrilling stories are not yet told. Our grandest journeys are not yet made. The American age, the American epic, the American adventure has only just begun. Our spirit is still young. The sun is still rising. God's grace is still shining. And my fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. And there she is tearing it up. With that, COVID must be released. Now, remember, if you read the first sentence of Genesis, you realize that the end times are at the beginning. So, considering 2020 was horrible, if you apply the same methodology, let's use science, right? Here we come for full circle. The end of the United States began on that day 
when they decided that they're going to push this within the U.S. They were going to push it hard. Regardless of what the rest of the world decided they were going to do, they were given the go-ahead with the destruction of America based on her destroying the President of the United States speech, number one. Number two, the President told you about Alamo and how Texas brought it home. In the end, where did our President go as President? To the Alamo, full circle. And after that, he told you what's to come. The best is yet to come because we are going through uncharted waters right now. So if we revisit Alamo, Texas, and this Lone Star State, as I've said many times before, the flags are extremely important. What does that tell you, considering his first State of the Union, which is on the 28th, is happening again this year? Yes, it's not done in the halls of Congress, or anywhere that they might say must be done. But where is it done? On the only platforms allowed to see it. And on YouTube, when it's being aired, it will be taken down. You are not allowed to have that speech. So again, in retrospect, you saw the future because the past told you about the future. You just didn't have the right ears to hear it. Hence why Pelosi's action and her 25th of February trip to Chinatown, her ripping of the document, which is an actual criminal offense and was not held accountable for it, is exactly this. The Alamo battle... You have, to, you, have to, you have to think back to Alamo and what happened. How many days was it? How did it happen? How did it occur? How long did it take? And that's what you have to think about when thinking about Alamo. Who led the charge? Why was there a charge? What was going on? If you look at history, it will tell you everything you need to know about your future. That, that's something that we've been saying for a while now. So hopefully, President Trump's speech will both pacify our enemies, but if you've learned anything just from those few minutes, because you should hear the whole State of the Union, right? The real president is addressing the nation. And he told you what was coming. He just didn't spell it out for you. And now, looking back, you're seeing that. You're understanding how he was telling you, brace yourselves, but the best is yet to come. He sealed the deal when he visited that area. Now, I know it's not um, what you would like it to be, but you're not going to tell him how to give you an answer. You are not going to tell him, not the president, God, he decides. He decides how this plays out. And until someone, did I say someone? I'll take that back. Until the collective, 
understands the power that they yield, kneels to their creator in faith, (laughs) not by demanding outcomes, but faith, then you'll be able to see it more. Many people are pessimistic because they're not seeing what they want. And that's always the case. You know, I pray, oh, it's not happening. I'll tell you, I would pray, 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 and still evil was there. The minute I stopped trying to find solutions, the minute I stopped trying to mitigate situations, the minute I said, you know what? You're in control. And I really meant it. Things just changed. Now, I'm speaking from personal point of privilege, as they say, right? Personal point of privilege. I wanted to go to CPAC, but then I saw who was attending CPAC. And I was like, I could see my president somewhere else. I don't need to be there. Because the one thing of evil, especially evil disguised as good, man, do they suck, suck every little bit of life in you. And I know a lot of you that were in DC felt the same way. It is very taxing on your soul. And they are everywhere. I mean, I saw people speaking at CPAC and I was like, there's like no way I could have been there without hurling or feeling upset, right? With what was being said and what is being said. I mean, Marsha Blackburn is at CPAC. What does that tell you? She gave a speech, the stupid bitch that said, I'm going to contest the elections, but then decided that the president was guilty of an insurrection. So she's not going to contest it because people trust the place that were not sent there by the president. That stupid bitch is talking at CPAC (laughs) and she represents the Republican party. That's where you need to get to slap and slap him and say, what is this crap that you're putting on there? Pam Bundy, freaking Marsha Blackburn. Tom Cotton, are you serious? Scott Walker, the Wisconsin governor. I'm just pointing a few names out. These are the people at CPAC and you wanted people to go there? Stop. CPAC is a joke. And the fact that people would sell their soul to go there, uh, there wouldn't be no way that I would go there. No way. Because it's all a pony show. They're all fake. They're all fake. And that's why my president is the last one to speak. Because all those before him threw him under the bus. Threw him under the bus. And yet everyone's like, oh, such a patriotic thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. It does not uphold the values of the United States of America. It's where people go and prance around right? Look at me. I'm like such a big influencer in the conservative movement. No, you're fucking not. The people are the influencers. The people run this nation, not your stupid blue check mark, but that flies around and prances around. It's the people that are doing the hard work. And all of you are doing the hard work. None of them are. None of these people out there. Well, I represent, shut up, Posobiec's of the world, Cernovich's, all these clowns. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Do you know, oh man, this is going to set some serious fires, but I'm spilling some tea right now because I'm feeling it. 
I am going to spill some super tea. When we were down in D.C., oh, here, here comes the tea. Here comes the tea. When we were down in D.C. in January, this whole, you know, January 5th event happened. I turned around to people that were close to even, you know, to General Flynn themselves, right? All of these people that are patriots that you see as patriots, right? Former special forces, joint operations, right? And here's this round girl sitting across from a couple of them. And they look at me and people that were with me without naming names and said, listen, Stop exposing Ali Akbar. You know, we need to keep it peaceful. We should all unite. So my friends even said, you know what? Maybe we should just, I was like, dude, they're going to wreck Patriots Day. I'm telling you, yeah, but you know, you might be wrong. Never been wrong yet. Never been wrong yet. And I was then thinking, these fuckers wanted a war. These people wanted a war. These people thought and still think that what happened was good. They wanted the war. They wanted the war and they're pissed. Wait till Tori drops all your names and faces. I don't give a shit how many medals you have. I don't give a shit how many terms or tours you've done. You're not a patriot. When you support that insurrection and you were okay with the plan they had, Trust the plan. You fuckers think because you hijacked the mode of communication that it's yours. The only person that gives you any avenue to speak is God himself. And let me tell you something. This is why you're in the shitter. And nobody wants to be associate. You can say you gave them that Kool-Aid. You pushed it around. But you wanted war. Well, he's going to give you your own personal war. So those little guys running around, right? That were like, calm down, calm down, kids, Bob. Let's all get along for the sake of the event. I was like, no, we're not. You never make nice with the enemy that's planning to fuck you, period. And, uh, you know, even, you know, the only person that kind of agreed with me was Patrick Berge, who, you know, is like super black and white, but other people were like, you know, maybe. And it's like having seen war, I guess we know how to separate that. And you would think that those little guys roaming around, becoming social media stars, pushing their little plans of how it was going to get fixed. One of them was like, look at this plan. We got this plan. Everyone was drinking the Kool-Aid of the plan. I'm like, you guys are all idiots. It's not going to work. That's a stupid plan. Pence is a little piece of shit. I've been saying it for years. Yeah, you don't know anything. Who the hell are you? Yeah. I'm the one that knows shit. You're the one that thinks you know shit. You're the one that thinks everything is rosy or that you know everything. Let me tell you something. The DIA doesn't know everything. The DOD doesn't know everything. The CIA doesn't know everything. Nobody knows everything except for him. And so everybody can only see their perspective. And with the knowledge they have, you cannot see something unless your eyes know what to look for. You can't hear something unless your eyes, your ears know what to listen for.
So I'm really glad, in a sense, that now they know, right, that the things that they were supporting were all bogus. The things that we were telling them to avoid and not support and not promote and not push were erroneous. Because they had a plan. And you should always trust that plan. You guys took my mode of communication and hijacked it. I let you. See, that's the thing. You never interrupt an enemy when they are destroying themselves. But guess what else you don't do? When you think something is impossible and someone's doing the impossible, don't interrupt them. That's just rude, jealousy, and rubbish. Look at all the Americans around you right now. Look at all the patriots right now. They have been armed with the tools of knowledge and their eyes can see and their ears can hear. And they will not be victim of the same actions again. This is where it goes. Because they're strong in faith. Nobody's, who's really going to sit there and listen to what Marsha Blackburn has to say and say that they're a patriot? Who can say that? Who can say that when on the same day she's like, I'm going to contest. And then suddenly all these orchestrated events that these little task force dudes thought were a good thing and we must make nice. Well, they, they were advising people. Advising people, advising people, big people, they were advising them because they had never steered them wrong. They were advising them to make nice. Let's make nice with this piece of crap. Let's make nice with this. Let's make nice with that. Let's bury the hatchet because it doesn't look good. We need to unite. We need their base. We need Alex Jones's base. We need Ollie's event. Ollie didn't do shit. Alex Jones didn't do shit. All they did was rape people of money for empty, empty, empty things. They don't tell you anything you don't know. You could go on Twitter and find out the shit they talk about. They don't investigate anything. Yet, who advised the people that represented the most incredible movement to not listen to people that were saying, do not tag team, do not make nice, do not, they are an enemy, do not. Who advised them of that? They are also the enemy. When you sit back and you let shit burn and you do nothing, but you promote the fire, well, then you deserve everything you get. And I know they listen, and they should. And they should, because guess what? In this reality, this fabric of reality, there are very few people that can master time like that. Look at what happened in February. Wait till you see what I do in April, per se, says, per se. So this is how, per se, this is how people will learn to discern our great leaders, the people that represented the people, the people leading the people were tricked by their own. They were told, don't look there.
Don't listen to them. Look, she got arrested. Look at her with the attorney general. Yeah, don't read the case. Just listen to us. We're telling you. They're nobodies. Brendan doesn't know her. She's not on the books. No fucking shit. People like me don't exist. They're usually in basements. But they forgot about something. Something laying between these six inches. And that's what makes it amazing. They thought they knew best. I know best. Who else knows best? <laughs> the globalists, the cabal. Oh, but they're better cabalists, right? Because they believe in the second amendment and the first amendment, as long as it's, you know, their way. Discernment comes from your gut. And I know every single one of those that were duped by their own people that have fought side by side with them, that have been by their side for years, fucked up because they didn't listen to their gut to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't make nice. Maybe the person that was sussing them out isn't my friend either. Maybe I should trust my gut. Hence why we go back to the science. Two brains. One of them is independent. Guess what? It controls your main brain, as you notice, scientifically. So all of them, all of them worked against you. You have the power you have the power to suffocate their fake voices. You have the power. How? Quickly unfollow. Why am I giving that person support? Oh, I want to see what they're saying. Sure, you can go in and watch it. Don't give them the support. Don't give them the notoriety. Get rid of it. Are you following XYZ to see what they're saying? No, don't do it. You can go search anyway. Why do you need to follow them? Suffocate them. Smoke them out. Let the world see who they are. Can you believe Jack Posobiec said, I found out about Syria from an unorthodox source. Shut up. You mean not Christian source. You mean that's what's up. Like everybody, I mean, everybody and their mother knew Syria was coming. Yet they sell that to you. You know what else they sell? A lot of vitamin supplements. Like what the fuck is up with that? Everyone wants to sell you silver and supplements. What's going on? Oh, look at me. Look at me. This is it. Supplements. You got it. Here it is. Buy my silver. Buy this. Why? You can't go buy your own silver? Oh, but if you buy silver from them, you get promoted. But why is it only silver? And why are they saying, if you support, if you buy it, you support me? Why? If people like what you have to say, they'll send you money because they're going to want to keep having you there making content. You don't need to sell them shit. You don't need to sell them supplements. You don't even know what's in it. You contract with all these. Look at it. Think about it. How many of these people are selling freaking supplements? How many of them are educating you on what's good with your body? When did you become a doctor, Mike? Oh, let me guess. You're the best. No, you're not. When did you become an expert on commodities and you're talking about it? Gold is going to be worthless as a commodity. If people don't wake up, real commodities are the ones that I gave. I mean, it's funny, huh? Who whispered in the Redditor's ears about other stuff? Kind of like where Niobium's going, I love the dip it takes, so that way I can get more. That's what's up. Pay attention. Why do you need to sell people something that they, well, you know, if you're making the product yourself, go on, sell it. Get on Etsy, put it on your site. I'm all for it. Let's do it. But when you're contracting out, 
to sell vitamins that you have no idea what's in them or you pretend to because the label says so, right? Have you guys ever taste, tested the pH of your water at home with little strips? You'll be shocked. You don't need to make, you don't need to put it up, right? You don't need to sell something to, to keep your voice alive. Your voice needs to be giving the people what they want and they will support you. Uh, you know, I, I, I am blessed. Oh, guess what? I got 211 subscribers now on Subscribestar. Thank you guys. Uh, that's super awesome. Cause now I can go to people like th that Russian guy and say, yo, I'll pay you a hundred bucks right now. Cause I want you to do this experiment for my people. I want to show them this, you know, this is the stuff that I can do now when I have subscribers, I can finish up my little surprise. They're not going to shut us up. They can't silence us all. And it's a Tick, tick, tick. So if your voice and what you produce is good, it stays. It's kind of like um, ivory soap, right? Ivory soap hasn't really changed, right? Ivory soap is ivory. You don't need to put trinkets on it and little things in it. The basic first ivory soap works. Why? Because it does the job. And because it's a good product, it remains. Think of all the products that were created and still remain. Because they're good. They speak for themselves. And so, again, when you think, well, so-and-so has a big voice. No, you give them that voice. So-and-so is a great commentator. Great. Support them. So-and-so believes, you know, like people ask me, what do you think of this person, that person? I mean, it's better to ask me. <sighs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying, um, you have the power to give power to a currency, let alone somebody's voice. So that is what you need to look at. Who's really giving you something that's a value? Not like, you know, tips like GameStop or Niobium. We're talking, you know, other stuff. Who, you know, stuff where it, you're learning to do it yourself. See, that's the thing. I don't want to keep the information for myself. I want to give it to you. I want you to see it yourself. That way you don't even need someone to suss it out for you or someone to decode shit for you. What you need is to be able to do it yourself. It's like fishing lesson. Why would I give you fish when I could teach you to fish per se? So I'm teaching you all the bad tricks, well, <laughs> all the flags that bad, bad things did that go unnoticed so you can recognize, oh, that didn't come out right. I'm trying to think. Uh, man, you know, spilling the tea thing because I went way over on this show. It is Friday. I'm so proud of Donald Trump. President Donald J. Trump, I am so proud of him. He's fearless. He literally walked into a snake pit with tar, feathers, the whole nine yards. And, um, and he's still at it, man. He's still at it. 
a normal person would have stepped back. He's a beast. One of his best creations. I'm telling you, one of the best creations. He's like ivory soap. It's like in the invention of sliced bread. Six years he has. Six years. So this is one of the six years. A lot of people would ask me, how does he have six more years? Six years. I'm telling you, it's six years. Everything you watch is literally a movie. It's not real. And if you go back and watch that video of the drilling, I want you to pay attention to the surroundings of that drilling so that you can see what you missed. So you can see what you missed. You saw Portal. It's been out for almost a decade. Obviously, you're not seeing the reality. Oh, rover's on Mars. How do you know it's Mars? Because they told you. How do you know that probiotic that you're taking off the shelf from this really famous company isn't killing your microbiome rather than promoting it? How do you know these influencers aren't selling you vitamins that are supposed to make you more vulnerable? How do you know? Because the label says so? Because the FDA says put a label? Stop. Nobody can trust the FDA. They say that so much of bugs in your food is okay. They don't have to register it when you get bugs in it. How do you know that your water pH is what it is and that it doesn't have any nanoparticles in it. You don't. Yet you trust the fact that they're labeled and they can get sued if some smart ass actually investigates them. I mean, there's videos out there where people actually test the acidity of bottled water. You should see it. How do you know the meat you're eating is beef? I mean, they're now deriving meat from human stem cells so you can say you're buying Kanye beef steak, which is Kanye's DNA and beef DNA grown so you can say I'm getting some Kanye. That's disgusting. How do you know? How do you know? Oh, because I saw it. That doesn't mean shit. How do you know? How do you know? You don't. How do you know? You don't. That's the point. So if you don't know anything, you can't trust your eyes, you can't trust your ears, how do you know? You trust your gut. And you have faith that what you access, he will not allow you to have. You know, I don't, I, I'm totally against this impossible meat stuff, right? So um, every now and then, I crave when it's, you know, I'm a woman at a certain time of the month, you know, <laughs> what did President Trump tell her? Bleeding out of everywhere. <laughs> that was so funny. And she was so offended. It's like, well, she's too old to be bleeding out of anywhere right now. You've totally complimented her, but she was offended. But anyway, um, I get cravings. A lot of women crave chocolate. I crave, a like a disgusting burger. I want to taste grilled something, like charred something, right? So once um, 
late at night, I left my apartment and I drove to a Burger King and I was like, I'm going to get it because they have that fake liquid smoke smell right on it. So I go to get like a Whopper and I'm like, yeah, even though the Whoppers suck because they're usually cold, their service is so subpar. I just wanted to taste it. I didn't even eat the whole thing. I wanted to taste it. But here's what happened. The person behind me had ordered an impossible burger. Now, as I said, I have faith that the things that I put in my body won't hurt me more than what this, you know, suit has been doing (laughs) itself from overdrive. You know, I have enough inflammation, don't need more. I have faith. Well, I I get my my, uh, burger. I don't pay attention to it. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to start eating it at the red light. And so I'm like opening the box and I'm like trying to get the paper thing on it. And as I'm trying to, I literally, it drops. And I'm like, what the, like, it's one of those things where you're holding it and you're like not holding it. And it like totally fell. So I'm like, damn, let me go back to Burger King. So I go by there and I'm like, Hey, can I get her? And she was like, Oh my gosh, did I give you the impossible burger? I'm so sorry. I'll have it for you for free. And I was like, what? That was an impossible burger I had, but for some reason it all dropped. Like I wore it. Like I had like, you know, I was like hugging my chest to walk back into my building. So the security guard doesn't laugh. You see how that works? At that point I was really pissed. I was pissed. It was all over me. I had all that stupid (laughs) stuff all over me. I was so upset. And you know, I have a cat. So obviously I wasn't wearing like outside clothes because I was going from my apartment to the garage to Birking and back. So obviously there was cat hair everywhere. So there was no way of saving that burger, even if he so desperately wanted it. And it was an impossible burger. And see, I dodged the fake meat. Not me. He made it so. He made it so. Now you might say, God save you from eating an impossible burger. Hey, that's what I say. So I say it as such. So when mishaps happen, when things don't go right, I say it's him for a reason. It's not because he's not listening. It's because he's directing us. Now, I'll leave you with this because we should raid someone. But I'll leave you with this. I want to tell you something. <laughs> so yesterday, like I said, we went to this the melting pot. Okay, like I said, cheese, great with the bread. Oh, my gosh. The chocolate, banana, strawberries, off the charts. The food, not so off the charts. So as we were sitting there, Phoebe, <laughs> Phoebe decided to talk about, you know, she did something that looked weird. And I was like, what is that, Tourette's? And then she started, you know, you know, it's not something to laugh about because could you imagine having this compulsion to say, but it was actually quite funny. She was like, you know, what if someone was to walk in a place with like a bunch of people that hate Trump? or love Biden, or love the liberals, and they start pretending they have Tourette's, and, oh, fuck Biden. He's a pedo, you know? And I, she did that on accident. (laughs) And I was thinking, damn, someone's creative out there to have pretend, um, Just saying, just the thought of it, because then they can't get angry at you because it looks like you have Tourette's and you're cussing, but you're saying all these things like, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying that was, I thought that was funny. 
it caught me a little bit off guard. I mean, damn, my kid has a sense of humor. And to think, you know, her soul, such a short time on this earth so far has been tested and tried like no other to be able to find humor, man, right? And I think that goes for all of us. We should be able to find humor in everything. And we should laugh at evil. Because the more you laugh, you minimize its effect. I'm just saying. Minimize the effect. So, oh, last thing. So there's this app that I've been playing with for um, a couple months. It's been like a couple months. I've downloaded it. Let me see what the name of it is. I just know it, it has headphones. Um, it's called Stereo. It looks like a little microphone. So when you go to it, people are just having conversations live and they talk. So I'm going to start next month, right, um, once a week so that we can have Q&As on it. So, um, like, we get to talk to each other. So whoever's on, you know, we get to, like, chit-chat, like, on our phone, like we're having a convo. And I think that's that would be fun where we could just all talk about whatever. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes I, I peruse through it to say there was this guy going off about things and it was hilarious. Then you have your liberal. So I jump in and say something and you could leave it like as a voicemail or you jump on and you meet each other and have combos. So I thought maybe my first combo, um, it would be, I don't know, maybe me and Gavin talking time, right? And you guys can listen in and chime in or whatever. Um, it's called stereo. Um, so I look, I'm volunteering them without asking. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think the conversations we have anyway would be cool uh, for people to listen into and obviously chime in. So I'm thinking about that. So I don't know, you guys can actually um, tour the app over the weekend. We are having movie night on Sunday night for sure. Except if I go to my friend's house who is thinking of celebrating my birthday this weekend rather than the 7th. I don't know. I mean... Maybe I want to like just chill on the seventh. I don't know. We'll see. I'll know tomorrow because that's kind of last minute to tell her to do a party. And you know what sucks? She lives so far away. It's like I can't even have a glass of wine because I got to drive all the way back. Um, all right. So on that note, I don't want to put the what what in your butt song, but um, <laughs> it's totally fitting because it's like told you so that it was coming, and it's like. People were talking so much smack too. Remember, guys, you have the power to change your nation, change your future, and change where you allocate that power, not only by your dollar, right, but by your voice, by your responses and watching. Yesterday, we raided this guy um, who blocked me um, after we went in there to give him love because I was like, look, he's got a small channel. He hasn't been verified. He has no subscriptions because he doesn't have enough followers. His music looks good. Let's go. And he was so evil. He blocked me after we went in there. And then, oh, and if you guys are still following him, unfollow that DJ Santana dude. Because he literally blocked me because they were like, oh, yeah, you know, she's a, she's a, you know, right winger or whatever. And it's like, man, I guess we're red pilling people. And they don't want people red pilled. So we're going to end with watching carefully. This video that I've been playing for over a year with a nice song, I want you to pay attention to where they're in zero gravity and a screw falls down.
please pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. I know a lot of you probably haven't seen it. Please pay attention to that. And once it's over, we're waiting. She's out of this world, the current commander of the International Space Station, about to break a big record tonight. Here's ABC's Gio Benitez. They call it the Peggy Factor, Mission Control's code word for the way superstar astronaut Peggy Whitson always gets the job done. I love it up here. Tonight, Commander Whitson making history with her record for any American. By the time she lands in September, her tally will be 666 days. 666 days in space. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. could turn the page and time that I'd rearrange just to fail to close my, close my, close my eyes.